Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here on remote and uh, therefore no music, but uh, great conversation for you today. We're going to talk to Jody Hauser. Jody, of course, is the writer of Faith for Valiant Comics. It's my first Valiant interview officially here at Word Balloon. I wasn't a Valiant person. I, uh, I never read the original characters. I never uh, read their interpretations of the Gold Key characters. Faith goes back to the original Valiant characters of the 90s, but uh, Jody puts a new spin on her, and we get background on the character. And certainly she's made a lot of noise. Both Jody has and Faith has uh, as a very uh, positive new character that appeals to a segment of uh, the female reading audience, and that's awesome. And uh, I've got questions. She's uh, a plus-size woman. I'm a plus-size guy. Um, I have some plus-size questions along with the normal questions, but uh, I think it's an awesome book. Uh, Jody also wrote Orphan Black for IDW. I'm a huge Orphan Black fan. I always was, and uh, man, I am so psyched that uh, the book was as good as the comic and I guess Jody isn't doing it anymore, but uh, man, it, what a what a very inventive and original science fiction series. So it's a pleasure to talk to Jody about that. That's happening in part one of Word Balloon. Part two, we've got a little interlude. Xander Cannon is doing a Chicago comic book appearance, and I wanted to do a full fledged interview with him, but technology was conspiring against us. I don't know what the deal was, but I could not get a good uh, level uh, and and reception with him either Skype or on his cell phone. So we got the uh, the bare minimum to tell you that he's got a Chicago com- comic book store appearance coming up on Friday. It's going to be a big Chicago comic scene hang, as they usually are on Fridays at Challengers Comics at Western and Armitage and Milwaukee, where they all intersect. And I give you the street address. And uh, I hope uh, if you're in the Chicago area that I get to see you on Friday night and see Xander as well. So that's going to be a short interlude. And then we're going to go into a discussion with Ed Cato. Ed is one of the license holders uh, currently of Captain Action. Captain Action was an amazing action figure from the 60s. Uh, right after G.I. Joe, the next big uh, action figure for boys was Captain Action. And uh, Captain Action in, not only was a great hero in himself, but he also had uh, came with costumes and rubber masks that you could put on the action figure. And he could be Spider-Man, Superman, Captain America, Iron Man, Batman, Flash Gordon, uh, the Lone Ranger, the Green Hornet. So many great superheroes of the 60s and uh, early 70s. And uh, it was one of my favorite toys. And uh, Ed has been the guy in charge of uh, creating new Captain Action product. That's uh, toys, but also uh, graphic novels and full-fledged pulp novels as well. And we talk about all of that. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Captain Action, 1966. Crazy. And uh, Ed has a lot of plans for Captain Action. And we talk about those uh, present and future plans in uh, our conversation here on Word Balloon. He's also from uh, Bonfire advertising agency, which is a very forward-thinking and active ad agency that is uh, putting regular blue-chip advertisers with uh, geek platforms and trying to find solutions for both and uh, letting the uh, the big companies know that uh, the geek audience spends money and is willing to do it. Uh, and also, it's a great way to kind of get their message out to a geek audience if they do it right. And uh, so we've got some thoughts on uh, what's been happening in the marketing scene. He was also at Playfair and Toy Fair in New York City just a couple weekends ago. So we get a report on how uh, those shows went. So a really interesting conversation with Jody Zander and Ed for you today on Word Balloon.
It's all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are going on right now at InStockTrades.com, and I want to tell you about some of them because you can save big money right now on some neat stuff. For instance, how about the Corto Maltese graphic novel, Celtic Tales? Man, these are some amazing Hugo Pratt graphic novels, and uh, it is uh, on sale for 30% off $20.99. You can also get Star Wars Chewbacca. The trade paperback is out now. Uh, Jerry Duggan, Phil Noto, funny stuff. The first arc is available, 42% off, $9.85. You can get uh, the all-new Captain America trade paperback, Hydra Ascendant from Rick Remender and Stuart Immerman, 50% off, just $9.99. You can get the G.I. Joe IDW hardcover uh, collection, Volume 6, with great writing from Chuck Dixon. And Javier uh, Salazar is the artist. It's uh, 30% off, $34.99. You can get uh, The Ark. The hardcover is available now. Uh, another tremendous silent graphic novel uh, from the Humanoids line. Stevani Levatos is the uh, artist and writer, and uh, that is available at 25% off, $18.71, and a hell of a lot more. Check out all the great deals that are happening right now at InStockTrades.com. All right, let's, let's fire things up now with Jody Hauser talking about Faith and Orphan Black. It's a pleasure to have her on for the first time on Word Balloon. Jody Hauser, welcome to Word Balloon. I, I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I'm enjoying your work. Congratulations on uh, what you've been putting out there so far. Oh, thank you, and uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, very curious about Faith. I also want to talk Orphan Black because I'm a huge Orphan Black fan. Uh, and I, 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 what's that? I said, aren't we all? Indeed. Indeed. I, what a, yeah, we'll get, well, we'll get to the orphan black right now. I do want to start with faith. Um, I gotta be honest. I'm a complete like valiant, valiant virgin in terms of, yeah, I just, uh, I heard about the character. It sounds like fun. It is fun. I enjoyed the first issue. I thought it was, uh, the great, a uh, good combination of humor and action. Um, but you know, tell me about, cause I know you didn't create the character. How, you know, how did you come to the job? Okay, well, Faith actually dates back to the original version of the Valiant Universe. I think she was created in 92 uh, okay. for that first uh, Harbinger team that was in existence. And then uh, when Valiant came back in 2012, she came about in the first arc of Harbinger again. So she was sort of reintroduced in this new universe. And mm-hmm. she's a psyot, which means uh, she has special powers she can fly and she has something called a companion field that sort of operates like a type of telekinesis, which she can basically carry another person with her when she flies. And she was part of a team called the Renegades, which again was in the new version of Harbinger. And uh, that team kind of fell apart a bit. Uh, one of her teammates died. It, was, it wasn't it was a good time, but she was sort of the positive light of that team. She was the one person who was just really psyched to have superpowers and be a superhero and try to save the world. And so she was kind of a part of that team and encouraging everyone, you know, it's like, no, we got to do the right thing. And also we need to have costumes and code names because, you know, we got to do this right. As, as someone who grew up reading comic books and dreaming of being a superhero, her whole life would naturally do. Sure. Um, so after the Renegades sort of fell apart, uh, she was with her boyfriend, uh, Torque, who was one of her teammates for a while. 
Um, and she left him to go join Unity, which was, uh, it's the premier superhero team of the Valiant Universe, sort of like their version of the Avengers or Justice League. Um, and she went on one mission with them, and they pretty much just slaughtered everyone in their path. Wow. And she's like, nope, this isn't my scene. Goodbye. And she just literally just got in a taxi and left. Didn't even, like, give official notice that she was quitting. She just left. But the the same time, you know, she's riding away in the cab, and she just has a smile on her face. And you could tell... She's perfectly okay with making this decision. You know, maybe this was her dream and it didn't work out, but she knows she's going to be okay because she's being true to herself. And that was, that's sort of the thing that I really love about the character is she just knows who she is. You don't really have to do like the whole origin story of her deciding to become a superhero and figuring out that that's her path. No, she already knows that. So it's really just more about seeing how far she can go. Well, and I and honestly give you credit for uh, that first issue because I didn't know that whole backstory and I felt I didn't feel lost at all because this is her story and she's setting out to do this thing. And uh, I like that she, she figures, well, I may as well be a reporter and keep my nose to the ground. And that's like a great way to get information and stuff. And unfortunately, she's working at a blog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, OK, I, I can appreciate that. She's 19 and kind of going off on her own. Yeah, it's really her first time both on her own as a superhero because she's always operated with a team or at least one other person. And it's, you know, she's of that age where it's her first time really on her own as an adult, like having to have a job and pay rent and all those terrible adult things. So she sort of has to find a balance. And of course, you know, she sort of has the models of having a solo title because she probably actually thinks she's having a solo title right now because she's... Well, to borrow a TV trips term, she's very genre savvy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, things aren't necessarily going exactly as she planned. And it, that's actually a lot of fun to play with the idea of sort of the classic superhero journey and how that would or wouldn't operate in the real, quote unquote, real world. Absolutely. No, you know, I loved I was trying to think of male characters that had that kind of connection and like were if not superhero fans, at least sci-fi fans, and they let it out in their character. And the only one that I could, that came to mind was Farscape with uh, John Crichton. Definitely. Well, I'd and, say, you know, like, Peter Parker, I mean, he's definitely more a science geek than a science fiction geek, but I kind of feel like, um, you know, like him, absolutely. him and Kamala Khan, Kamala Khan's probably the one who's, it's interesting because she's like a fan of the Avengers and she writes the Avengers fanfic, but the Avengers <laughs> for her are real people. So it's a little bit different because she has the superheroes in her own world to look up to rather than no. having to turn to fiction. That's true. No, that's a, that's a good point. And I have to confess, I, I, I haven't caught up with Ms. Marvel yet. I respect it. And I'm really happy that everyone's doing so well with it. Uh, but I, yeah, you know, I mean, I've got, you, you can't read everything. And, uh, but I no, this is great. And truly, I think this is an excellent addition as well in terms of um, a positive female hero. And I, I think again, a relatable character and like you said, um, in terms of Peter being a science geek and stuff like that, you know, the classic teenager becoming a hero trope is here, uh, but it got a, a very different spin and, you know, just um, no angst like Peter. I mean, and to be honest, I wanted to ask you about that because have, not having read um, the previous current Valiant stuff, is there 
you know, I, I don't even know what other quirks. So I'll throw some names. Like, you know, is there like a Bruce Wayne side to Faith, or and nothing that drastic? Well, but, actually, you know, it's funny. Flaw that, some, it's it's you know. funny you bring up Bruce Wayne because she actually is an orphan. She lost her parents as a kid in an accident, and that's a lot of where her connection with sci-fi and comics and fandom comes from because they were the ones that got her into all of that, and she sort of embrace those stories as a connection to her parents that she lost. Sure. Okay. So, and, and like I'd mentioned before, she did lose a teammate and people were hurt in their fight to save the world. So she definitely does have, you know, some angst and drama in her past. And and some of that will come up in the series, but at the same time, she's a character who she's not optimistic because she's naive. She's seen, how dark and terrible the world can be, but she chooses to believe that she can make a difference and that there's good out there. And she basically chooses to have a positive view of things, which I think is really interesting. Will we see her lose her temper? I mean, I mean, I've seen that, forgive the obvious question, but I'm just saying like, you know, that's the thing. I mean, right now she, I, and, and I don't mean to, it isn't like she's skipping along, you know, zippity doo dad or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I guess Bruce Wayne maybe wasn't a good uh, example of what I what I meant in terms of because I can appreciate the personal tragedy in her life. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, is there a dark side to her? Is there a not so nice? Is like, does she have a character flaw that like you know like how Jordan is a hero, but he's also kind of an arrogant jerk. You know, I mean, um, so is there a negative personality trait in Faith that we might see coming? Uh, and we act, it actually goes into this a little bit in the second issue that in there's a preview up online now. But, okay. I mean, the one thing is for her is her, this is her first time doing this. Like she has these, I mean, she's looking up to the scions of comic book history and if, sure. can she really live up to that? Can she really do what she wants to do? You know, it's like, she knows who she's supposed to be. The thing is, can she actually pull it off? Can she actually do this on if she has to save the world on her own can she actually do that she doesn't really know so she's sort of like plowing ahead right now in the hopes that she can but you know when they if things are end up not going per, uh, perfectly according to plan which of course they will because comics you know how is <laughs> how is she going to deal with that sure okay very cool excellent so, um, and and she she got pretty angry that first issue with the um with the guys with the puppies that was pretty angry. <laughs> she was pretty pissed off. All right, that's true. I see a frowny face. I'm flipping right now again. She threw them off the window, right I mean. <laughs> There's probably some, like, cuts and stuff, you know. True, true. Yeah, well, I mean, it is kind of interesting for her because the role she played on teams was generally more of, like, a defensive person. You know, she wasn't right on the front lines in combat. So that's something she has to really learn to adapt to with her powers is how can she play the offense? Okay. And was she, do you think like, would she learn more hand to hand kind of combat and stuff like that? Do you think there would likely be a time where she's going to have to learn how to, you know, physically fight harder beyond the telekinetic, you know, power, which like you said, seems to be more of a protective field and a field of transport versus a a, a a weapon of attack? Or is she like the invisible woman where, you know, hey, you know, she just hasn't stretched her mind to do that yet. And that's the thing she's got to figure out, so. Cool. <laughs> I like it. All right, good deal. Very cool. So how did you get involved? Did you did you say, hey, I want to write this, or did Valiant come to you? How did, how did the 
two get together? A little bit of both. Valiant came to me and they were interested in having me do something from Harbinger, you know, something with one of the characters from Harbinger, but they didn't specify. So taking a look at Harbinger, Faith was really the standout character for me. And she was the one who was just the most fun. And I'm like, I want to write something with her. And she'd actually already had a one shot uh, that had come out by the Harbinger writer, Joshua Dysart. So I wasn't sure they'd be willing to go for a mini series, but it turns out everyone at Valiant just adores Faith. Uh, all the Valiant fans, she's really one of the favorite characters just because I think she's that sort of bright point in the universe. Um, mm -hmm. So, and they kind of wanted to do a Faith book for a while. So I sort of came in with a, the right pitch at the right time. Isn't it interesting that like, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I love my grim and gritty along with everybody else, but that ultimately it seems to be the bright characters. That's where the zeitgeist is right now. You look at the flash on TV and certainly Supergirl as well. And they're going to cross I, over. I'm so excited. Okay. Sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> say they're going to cross over. I'm so excited. Yeah, no kidding. Holy shit. I know. Oh, my God. And plus, like, Earth 2 right now. Oh, gosh, that was insane. <laughs> we're, we're recording right after the part one of uh, Earth uh, Earth 2 for people following along that are likely watching The Flash. No, I mean, that's, that is, like, I find that really interesting that, uh, and especially right now with DC, that it's like, hey, guess what? It's these little bright spots. I mean, yeah, we all love Batman and stuff like that, but it's like, the, again, the happy, the positive characters are making the difference. And truly in the case of Valiant, um, I haven't really read Archer and Armstrong and I know that's a really funny book, um, but it does seem like the majority of their characters are edgy uh, characters and talented people writing them. Yeah, really interesting concepts as far as some new stuff that they've been doing lately. But um, yeah, I was like, I'm like, Oh, faith looks like fun. This is cool. And, and, and that's, and of course that's Archer in the first issue. So there is going to be a little bit of occasional possible crossover with Archer and Armstrong that uh, Rafer Roberts is writing. Very cool. That's excellent. Um, well, what, uh, tell me about the team and the art team and everything. God, you got uh, Marguerite doing, uh, doing some, some portions of the book. And then also I'm flipping right now. There it is. Uh, Francis Portella. Yeah, no, they're they're both amazing. Um, I'm I love that we have uh, Marguerite Savage to do these little fantasy sequences, which is just sort of a fun <laughs> way to look into Faith's head and just maybe see a bit how much of a geek she is, and but also at the same time to just sort of see what she's trying to accomplish, how she either thinks or hopes things will play out. So it, it was just sort of something fun I wrote in the first issue, and then. Once Marguerite came on board to do these, uh, basically spread out into the rest of the issues. So that's going to be a, a consistent thing in all four issues. And, uh, and more than one, more than one uh, fantasy beyond Chris Evans. Uh, well, actually, actually, it's funny. He's he's uh, meant to be sort of an amalgam of all the Chris superhero actors. <laughs> We've dubbed him Chris Chriswell. His name is Chris Chriswell. Oh, that's awesome. I really, I assumed it was Chris Evans. That's fantastic. Well, you know, it's like Marguerite sort of drew him like Chris Evans, and I'm like, I'm okay with that. Sure. But no, he, he's officially, <laughs> and, and his full name is in the, is in issue two, so he will officially be Chris Chriswell as of the next issue. Okay, I was I was wondering if Matt Smith was going to show up, or David Tennant, or some of these other guys. And who knows, because she is a Doctor Who fan. She is a Doctor Who fan, for sure. Fantastic. That's excellent. So oh, and, uh, I love to Francis, sorry, I have to shout uh 
Oh, yeah, please. I'm sorry. Uh, Francis is just amazing. And he has such a strong background in superheroes, so he can definitely do all the action. But he is also so great with expressions and characters. And that's sort of, to me, that's like the perfect balance you want in a book like this. No question. No, you're right. And he does. He's like a Kevin Maguire in terms of really getting good expressive looks on all the characters. No, it's a solid book. It really is. You you wrote a great uh, first issue, and Francis and Marguerite really did, you know, did an amazing job as well. I know you've got a ton of um, variant covers that I've seen out there. And uh, and Andrew on uh, colors is amazing too. I just, I remember when I got the colors and there's a, that uh, panel, I think on the third page where she's waking up in her apartment in Van Nuys and the lights just sort of coming through the blinds. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. So, you know, um, the book is called faith. Her hero name is Zephyr. Um, is this kind of a sea change now? And do I mean, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of scenes where she's referred to as Zephyr and everything, but you know, um, is there, is there a thought at Valiant that really like if depending on how well things go, that you know, I mean, sure she'll be called that, but it's almost more like this is a Bruce Wayne book versus a Batman book. It's interesting. I think a lot of it, it um, actually comes from the one shot being called Faith Number Zero. So I feel like it's sort of connected to that. So I think I, I feel like I sort of came in after that decision. Okay. Made. But um, I mean, to me, it's I mean, obviously, her name is Faith, but I think it's also a strong aspect of her personality, too. So as much as I love uh, her superhero name, Zephyr, I feel like Faith has just worked so good as a title for the book, too. And the the interesting thing about her identity is it is public. The renegades never really tried to hide their identity from the public. Okay. So everyone does know that Zephyr is Frank, uh, Faith Herbert, which is why she had to come up with another alter ego. <laughs> For her blogger? Yeah. What is her, yeah, what is her other identity? Uh, Summer Smith. <laughs> of course it is. That's excellent, man. And it's because very, it's the real world, she actually wears both glasses and a wig to hide her identity. That's cool. So, you know, tell me about, because I, I saw this, and I, I mean, well, obviously, Faith's body type. But first of all, I should point out, I'm a heavy I'm a heavy person, so I feel comfortable asking about this. What do you do with the, um, on the one hand, you want to be proud of, of who you are at this time, and you don't want to feel like shaming and stuff, versus the thing of, too, hey, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You, you know, maybe, maybe you should try to do a little bit better. How do you handle that for the character? Is that an issue for her? I mean, honestly, I just went off of uh, Joshua Dysart's take on the character, which is it just wasn't really an issue. It's who she is. She's comfortable with herself. Other people are comfortable with her. And, you know, I mean, if it comes up in the story, fine, but I don't want to make it like a big deal that, you know, that's sort of like what her story and her whole journey revolves around because I think there's so much more to her than just her body type. But at the same time, I love that, you know, Francis and Marguerite aren't trying to hide it at all. You know, I feel like sure. they're just like, nope, this is who she is. She's here. Deal with it. And again, I'm not trying to be an asshole asking these kinds of questions, but I am interested. Will her heaviness? I mean, you know, there's there's just I mean, again, she's got flight. She does have telekinesis. Will that be a, a problem? Um, is it ever a problem? I don't think it's really in the, it is, it really isn't in these four issues. Um, okay. And it's just, you know, it's this one storyline and there, it just didn't fit in with what I was planning to do. So uh, for okay. me, it's, okay. it's, it's more like, 
she is people keep referring to her as a plus size superhero and for me it's more that she's a superhero who's plus size you know it's I'm it's gonna... one facet of who she is i would say sure okay no i get it and yeah that's i'm i'm just curious i like i said i i um I, I'm guessing that the response has been great. I hear that it sells out, but I don't know what the, I mean, not to be, uh, uh, what would be the word? Not critical, but, but just in terms of, I don't know what the size of a print run is. It seems like this would be a great idea for a character that would get a, a positive response. There still has to be a good story there, obviously, too. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, you know, how it's, it's been out for a week now. Uh, right? Two, like, two weeks. Oh, no. Two uh, weeks, excuse three me. Three weeks. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. It's okay, a, it was a January twenty seventh. Whenever that was, I I, okay. I did yeah, exactly. by deadlines rather than days on the calendar at this point. So. I understand. No, I understand. So yeah, no. What's what's the fan response been so far? I mean, overall, it's been really positive. There's always going to be people who want to make jokes about it or want to be assholes about it, but the people who are just really happy to see a character like this and who. Yeah are just having a very emotional response to it far outweigh that. And if those people are more important, anyone who's not going to buy a book based on the way a character looks, I, I don't really, you know, it's nothing I'm going to say is going to change their mind on it. I think so. Agreed. No. And also, I mean, fine. You know, you, you, no, the good thing I, I'm, I'm all for more representation in, in shapes, colors, uh, sizes, whatever. It's good. And yeah, no, every comic shouldn't be for everyone. And uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, this is being positively, you know, received. Now, as you say, you're doing the you're doing a four issue miniseries here. Um, if all goes well, you have more plans for uh, Faith. Um, I'd love to write more Faith. Nothing's been announced yet, but um, I mean, I think the sales have been beyond what anyone expected. So we'll see what happens next. Excellent. Very cool. No, that's that's great. And no, this is a great opportunity. And I would also assume, only having read the one issue and stuff that she provides a different point of view to the entire Valiant universe, as you explained, uh, as a teammate, as she's been in the past, but even now, this gives her an opportunity. Is she going to zip around, and, and or is this pretty much her story for this first uh, miniseries? And uh, you said, you know, um, I forget now if it was Archer or Armstrong, because again, I'm not reading that. Oh, like it's it an Archer. All right, thank you. Uh, but yeah, will we'll more uh, will there be more uh, other examples of uh, the known Valiant universe uh, popping up in the miniseries? Uh, I would say, I think I can say yes to that. I think okay. that's not uh, spoiling anything yeah. too much. Yeah, I don't want you to cheat. No, absolutely. No, that's cool. You know, I was, you, you always worry. You always worry you're going to say the wrong thing and suddenly a sniper is going to burst through the door. <laughs> I hope not. My God. What neighborhood do you live in, we poor thing? I'm like, we're talking about Obama. Oh, no, no, Valiant's a pretty small publisher. They probably don't have roaming snipers on staff. So. Right, good deal. That's good. Jesus. That's that's <laughs> cool. Oh, that's that's really neat. I think that's that's very uh very promising and I, I'm I'm glad that it was as well well received. And no, I, I wish you a lot of success with it. I think it's a it's a great start and I'm I'll be I'll be checking out the rest of uh, Faith's story in these Four issues and hopefully beyond. That's very cool. Thank you. I mean, I I grew up reading superhero comics, and to me, it's just a great opportunity to write a fun superhero book more than anything else with a fun character. Excellent. Yeah, and as we get into it, tell me about um, what led you, because I'll be honest, the first I became aware of you was when I heard you got the orphan black job. What led up to that? Um, Give me your origin. It's funny because I've been reading comics since I was a kid for you know over 20 years now. 
And I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was eight years old. But for some reason, those two didn't really come together for a long time. Um, I guess I was dumb growing up, uh, not realizing that, hey, maybe this is a thing I would like to write. I think I think when you're really young and you decide you want to be a writer, you think I have to write books because that's what writers do. You don't necessarily understand that there's so many other opportunities in TV and movies and comics and stage and everything. But anyway, um, a number of years ago, I started doing web comics. And again, I didn't really even think of that as parlaying to professional comics. It was just more a fun thing to do. And I had just moved out to L.A. and everyone and their mother in L.A. wants to be a writer. So I wanted to sort of have something I was putting out on a regular basis. So I wasn't just saying, oh, I'm working on another spec script. I I could actually like... No, here's a URL with things I actually wrote on the internet. You can go see it. What are your web comics? Um, the first one was called Brick Girl and Oscar, and it was okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really necessarily know what I was doing all that much then. That was a little bit more experimental, I'd say. And then uh, there was one I started in 2010 called Cupcake Pal, which uh, I like that one a bit better. It was a basically a satire on a comic for girls so all the characters were like cupcakes and a princess and a unicorn but the unicorn for example was on house arrest for drug possession and he had a little ankle monitor on his cloud and also kind of a huge pervert so it was sort of a weird twist on girly things Um, oh that's awesome that's actually up on comiXology the first two volumes um because i did that for five years and then i last year with all the other comic work i was getting i just had to put it on hold and also after five years i kind of needed a bit of a break but i'm good for you holy shit five years that's fantastic have you beyond the digital collections at comiXology have you have you collected them in uh, paper yet i did i actually did uh limited edition print run of the first volume last year of 100 copies and i still have a few left so i'll have them at, at least at emerald city this year if not awesome. other conventions but very nice very good yeah and that, so uh you know so i was doing that and uh, then a friend of mine posted about a comic anthology that was taking pitches and i was i had been sort of dabbling at writing comics at that point just to see if I could do it, I guess. I I went to grad school and got my MFA in writing and comics was one of the only things I didn't study because they didn't have classes in it. So it was like, I obviously need to know how to write everything. So let me try this sort of attitude going into that. Um, So I pitched a couple stories to the anthology, which was a zombie anthology set in the UK, which was fun because I've never actually been to the UK. Um, But I know some British people. So that's, that's good. Right. Uh, (laughs) I I wrote a few stories for that, and uh, around that time, uh, my editor for that anthology retweeted a tweet asking if any women wanted to write or draw for a comic anthology for charity, and that ended up being Womanthology, which if you remember a few years ago, was, I mean, that sort of hit at a time, and it just blew up on Kickstarter, and IDW put it out. Um, and I worked with two artists on my story for that, uh, Adriana Blake and Fiona Staples. Cool. So Fiona Staples is probably a familiar name to a few listeners. <laughs> I think so, absolutely. Um, and then for that uh, that first anthology, one of the artists I worked with was Eric Canede, who is just an amazing artist. So Another great artist, absolutely. Yes. Well, sure. So it was kind of ridiculous. I'd never really written comics before, and I had these samples from Fiona and Eric. 
Yeah, that doesn't suck. Jesus, that's fantastic. Yeah, so the, I sort of uh, parlayed that into a couple other anthology gigs. Um, and then uh, I, I was going to say last year, but it's 2016 now. So 2014, I ended up doing a story for the Vertigo Quarterly that year with uh, Nathan Fox, yet another amazing artist. Wow. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of ridiculously, insanely <sighs> lucky in terms of the caliber of artists that I got to work yeah. with early on. Like, I mean, both these guys that people have heard of and some of the other artists who aren't as well known, but were still really good. So I basically had really, really, really good samples to show around. And uh, I had pitched for a licensed book at IDW and didn't get it. But then that editor recommended me for Orphan Black. So that's Fantastic. how I got Orphan Black. Wow, that's great. And nice going on Orphan Black because, man, I'll tell you, that what a fresh concept. And I'm... I, I honestly, when it when it debuted on on TV, I was just like, yes, this is so good and so smart. And again, much like women anthology, coming at the right time. You know, it was and, it was funny. I didn't start watching it right when it started, but a friend of mine who had never recommended a TV show to me before, she's somewhat she's one of those people who I wouldn't necessarily call a geek, but she does like a lot of genre stuff. You know, she's a Star Trek fan, but she ne wouldn't necessarily go to a convention. I, uh, one of my best friends is exactly like but that. But she recommends, she's like, you have to watch the show, and she would not let up. And um, and when someone like that recommends something to you, you it's like that they, they're not usually the type to geek out about something. So you kind of you kind of take their word a little bit more seriously than your friend who recommends you know this that and everything. So sure. I caught um it was it wasn't the first season wasn't over yet, so I caught uh, one of the marathons they did. And the pilot just blew me away. I thought it was one of the best pilots I'd seen in a few years. It's just such a strong episode. And because the uh, first issue of the comic basically ran the length of the pilot, I had to watch the pilot about 10 times <laughs> while I was writing that. And I never got tired of it, which is ridiculous. I mean, you shouldn't be able to watch a TV show episode that many times and still be finding new things, but... I understand. And I agree with you. Um, and it is, it is one of the best pilots. Um, that's the gold, you know, the current golden age of television we're living in, but you're right. And, um, it, you know, just felt like a Hitchcock in the best possible ways. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that was my first thought at least. Uh, and, and just that person that is in trouble and needs to make it work and figure it out as she goes. And, uh, Tatiana, uh, and is it, Maslany? Maslany, I believe. Maslany, thank you. Uh, man, what an amazing actress to be able to pull off all these different shades. You know, I, I wrote all these comics and I've watched the show back and backwards and forwards and I still have trouble remembering that's one actress. <laughs> I understand. Well, and also so their good. technical... Yeah, well, and also their, their, the technical side, how the cameras are robotic and they can match the shot so when she does have to double... And, and redo a scene and play the other part and stuff that the camera is able to recreate the scene to the letter because of the robotic cameras and stuff. It's incredible. And, from, and from what she's, 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 oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, from what she said, just uh, the actresses who work with her as the doubles for the roles are just really influential in her performances for those characters. Uh, so I feel like they're sort of the unsung heroes of the show because, you know, she, uh, you know, so, I mean, plenty of actors have to deal with not having anyone to play off of, but if you're someone like her and that would be just like pretty much every character you're playing for season after season, I mean, you really need those other humans there to get that reaction and have it feel real, I think. 
no question. Now she is great, and I'm really glad that right right away, you know, they were just like <laughs> littering her with awards, and the show was getting awards. I have to admit the uh, the second season was like a little off putting to me. I got I I guess I'm a meat and potatoes person at the end of the day. I appreciated it from from some st- like Mike, the Mike character and stuff. I'm like, "Wow, they went there." And I and part of me's like, "That's really cool." And another part of me's like, "I don't know, man." <laughs> I'm just being completely honest in terms of like, "That's cool that it's there and that's great." But it did I have to admit I kind of stopped watching for a while, but then I came back in the third season, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where they go uh, the first season because it's kind of, they've kind of done so much already that you know if they're going to keep pushing forward. True. Yeah, that's. I mean, they already had her play a scorpion. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, um, in a different way, uh, Life on Mars, the original, the the good yeah, British yeah. one. All right, it's there great. we go. We're both on the same page. All right. <laughs> I was always really impressed with them going into their second season and they're like, you know, this can't be quantum leap. And I love quantum leap, but their point is, you know, we're going to run out of story. We got to wrap this up. You know, this is a finite idea. And, and is the next season, is it the final season or is there, is there still a, or no things are just moving along. Shoot. I think they said they were going to do five, but that, that makes sense. And that's right now. No, I, I feel like there's two more seasons left. Okay. Okay. And, and, you know, honestly, again, these guys are just, they go in directions that are just so unexpected and it's really mind blowing. So what in doing the book, you've got to obviously vet your stories, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was them coming to me with the story ideas that they had and me just building off of that and making it a comic. So like for uh, the Cosima issue, they wanted to have it deal with her previous girlfriend who was also her monitor before Delphine. Uh-huh. So, you know, to sort of work with that relationship and build out that character, which was really a lot of fun because I feel like, you know, there were a lot of similar notes to the Cosima Delphine relationship, but you want to make it different. You want to have that character stand on her own, too. Sure. No question. Well, that's cool. And, then you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many other licensed books you've had the opportunity to do. Is this your first? Uh, that was my first. Right now I'm doing um, Max Ride Ultimate Flight for Marvel, which is based on the James Patterson book series, sure. Maximum Ride. And that's a lot of fun. That's that's interesting because that's that, it's basically an adaptation, but it's a really loose adaptation. I've gotten to change up things and condense and take sort of explore different directions. So that's that's actually been a lot of fun to work on, too. That's cool. Well, for Orphan Black, do they do they come to you with story points, is or is it a, a combination of you pitching stories to them and them also saying, "Hey, we also want you to hit things like the Kissimmee issue." They they mostly came in first. There were a lot of phone conferences for that book. <laughs> okay, is it? Are they happy with what you've been doing? Obviously, I mean, I think so. They I know for because uh, they have another mini series they have out now, which is the Helsinki stories, and they wanted to tie that more to the TV show. So. Uh, they're having one of their staff writers work on the comic now, so I think they wanted to bring it more in house. But they said they were very happy with the stuff I did. So, okay, because you know, honestly, I, I know other friends that have worked on licensed books, and sometimes the licensor is or the creator does have a heavy hand because sometimes they're just kind of concerned with it being a comic book, and and you know they they want to make sure it's a good adaptation that they can they can kind of be heavy handed and. Um, you know, um, not as helpful, 
uh, but then I've also heard other ones where it's like, no, they're great and they, they love comics and they really want it to be, you know, a comic book. I mean, you know, is it, is, has it been manageable as far as, I, you know, I mean, the thing is they, they were, co uh, John and Graham who are the creators of Wolfram Black, they were co-writers on the book. So I don't think you could even really say that they were heavy handed so much as they were also co-writing. I <laughs> see. Okay. So I think they, it's not your, it wasn't your typical licensed book experience because, a, it's for a show that's art that's still going on, which, um, you know, a lot of comics, especially at IDW, you look at things, well, um, X-Files isn't a good example now because they did come back, but, you know, like the Star Trek books that are based on the original series, you know, it's like there's a lot more room to play there because those shows are over. You don't have to worry that what you're doing is ruining what's coming up, but... I mean, yeah, I definitely had some times where I was like, oh, what if we did this? And they're like, no, we're touching on that in the upcoming season. Sure. You know, you do, you do have to make it sort of fit within the continuity. But that's great, too, for fans that they are so directly involved in the book. And it, it kind of gives them more room to, like you said, explore these other story ideas that for whatever reasons they don't want to do or they don't have the real estate to tell those stories in the series. Yeah. So that's I mean, an opportunity for them. Yeah, this, the, the seasons are only 10 episodes long and they're very much Sarah's story as much as it's an ensemble cast. I'm sure, not, sure. I, I mean, an ensemble cast with one actress. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, right. so the comics were really a great way to explore the backgrounds of some of the other characters and get inside their heads in a way that you just don't have time to do in such a short season. They're all fun, aren't they, to write? They've got to be. Yeah, it was funny because Rachel was not one of my favorite clones, but she might have been the most fun to write. Rachel is the executive? Yes. The administrator? Okay, okay. What's the, and you know, forgive me, because, I mean, you watch so much TV, you forget who's who and everything. Who's the soccer mom? Allison, who's my no, favorite Allison. character. Every, you know, is, she's got to be everybody's favorite character. Although she Helena's is. like very close. I, I keep saying she's sort of like 1.5. <laughs> Helena's a badass. But that's, again, and that's the great thing. Sarah is this amazing problem solver on her feet. And just like, it's just incredible how she gets herself out of these things. And again, that's kind of the Hitchcock thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kissimmee, goddamn, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I, she's amazing and always fun to watch. But that's the great thing. Angela's like that as well. They're all like that. They're all just wonderfully interesting characters. It's more fun seeing it all through, um, you know, the, the cipher of, of Sarah and everything. But, it's just, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's it's such a fresh idea and, and done in a way that, you know, I, I can't think of any other time that, that a good sci-fi thing has been able to do it with this kind of distinct characterization. It's, it's funny because when I was writing the book, a lot of the questions I got were like, is it hard to make them all different characters? And I'm like, no, they are all different characters. You I mean, they, they all look the same. So, I, you know, that question almost goes more to the artist. Uh, but as for writing them, I mean, they're all such distinct people. It, it, you know, I never, you, you can't even really get them mixed up in terms of, you know, writing the characters and their dialogue because they all sound so different and they all are so different. What about the uh, the side characters? Who Who do you like writing? I didn't actually get to do really original dialogue for Felix, which made me sad because Aww. he's just so good. And, you, you, you know, sometimes you really want to just dig into those really snarky characters because they're saying all the things that you aren't allowed to say. <laughs> well, Felix, Felix and Mike, man, Jesus, that was like, wow. So have you had a chance to write Mike yet? 
No, no. Um, I don't know if they're going to bring him into the comics. But, okay. Uh, that would. I know. I know fans definitely want to see more of him. So if not in the comics, hopefully he'll come back on the TV show. Yeah, I would imagine. That's you know. I, I hope Mike does show up in your book. I think that would be great. You know. Again, I think that's the thing. It's like this show is. It is the most unpredictable show on television. And then uh, you know that's the that's the beauty of that. And I and you know getting getting to play in that so sandbox got it has to be great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So are you done with that? Oh yeah, yeah. I just did the uh, five issues of the initial mini series they did. Oh damn, man! All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm if, forgive me. I got to snag that. Okay, because yeah, that, again, sorry, bud. That was on my you know, that's on my file. That's okay. <laughs> All right, you know, but that's the thing. I honestly, I, I heard nothing but great things. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone's like. No, the book's really good. And it's like, all right, I'll get to it. Cool. You know, very, very good. Good for you, Matt. So what else you got coming up? Uh, oh, it was just yeah, actually, James announced, thing. actually announced today. Um, they're doing the big uh, summer event for Valiant is summer of 4001 AD. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, what's your involvement? In that? Yes. Uh, me and Rafer, who's the uh, Archer and Armstrong writer, we're writing Shadow Man for wow. 4001 AD, which is going to be... Really cool. I don't think I can really say anything about it because it was just announced today. But um, okay. it's it's based off a pitch. We were both at the Valiant editorial retreat in December, and we basically spitballed a pitch in the discussion. And then when we had a break, we went off and out did an initial outline for a pitch in like twenty thirty minutes, I think. And uh, obviously, uh, there were some changes and notes from that. But yeah, it was really kind of cool to have a project like that just sort of grow organically out of the discussions going on in what was essentially a writer's room. Tremendous. That's excellent. So are you going to be doing, you mentioned Emerald city. Are you going to be doing a bunch of conventions for Valiant this summer or this year? Um, I'm going to be at WonderCon for the Saturday and Sunday. And I know I'm going to be on the Valiant panel there and I'm going to be on the Valiant panel at Emerald city. And I don't think I have anything set in stone after that aside from san diego which i just always do excellent well that's cool well, hopefully i'll see you in san diego i'll be there yeah that this will be my ninth year i think <laughs> that's cool I, I this would be this uh, this is my eighth i think yeah i think i think uh 2007 was my first year so <laughs> very cool yeah six was my first year but i took uh i took two years off yeah, no, I've just been going straight ever since, and I'd done other conventions before, but I think San Diego is my first, and I know it's not strictly a comics convention, but it's still sort of referred to as one, so I'll, I'll say it was my first specifically comic convention, and it it's really still my favorite, if only because the exhibit hall is a rectangle. <laughs> so many of the other <laughs> cons are great conventions, but their exhibit halls are just sort of in different rooms, or there's weird breaks in them. And I like that San Diego just has a rectangle. It's easy to find your way around. Big giant thing. No, I love it too. No, it's it's like for me, I, I think of it like summer camp. Well, it is. Because... And I mean, I think the great thing is that it just sort of bleeds out into San Diego proper. And the gas okay. lamp is just Comic-Con central for five days. And I don't know. I feel like more than any of the other conventions I go to, that's one that the city just really embraces it and is sort of right. transformed by it. So it's it's a lot of fun. I hope. I mean, I, I know there ahead. keeps being discussion about it moving, but I really hope it stays in San Diego. I feel like it would lose something if it went somewhere else. I completely agree, and especially if they're really talking about Vegas. And I 
I like Vegas. I don't mind Vegas, but it's not San Diego. And there's absolutely that local charm. Uh, and and the like you said, the way the city really does just kind of embrace Comic Con and the way it spills into the gas lamp and well, you know, blocks beyond that as well. And it, yeah, it's just this wonderful kind of five day happening and stuff. So I hope so as well. It's uh, that's very cool. Are you? Um, do you have a full plate, or are you pursuing some other uh, writing, uh, publishing things? Uh, I don't think I can. I can't actually talk about anything else. All right, I understand. Stuff coming up that uh, I actually think one thing will be announced at WonderCon, but everything is so. Aside from the you know the four thousand and one Shadow Man that just got announced, everything else is kind of hush hush. Okay. But that's cool. That's great. Are you uh, are are you, are you able to do writing full time now? Or are you do you still have a daytime job? I still have a daytime job, but I think that's pretty typical for. A, I, I don't know if I'd say the majority of people in comics, but a lot of people in comics. So okay, it's not one of those how- things where I necessarily feel like I'm not fully committed to it because I still am working. It's just that's just the way life is. Okay, and I ask every uh, every woman that that comes on um, because I'm glad that things are getting better. Do you think they're getting better or – and I, don't get me wrong. I know there's still a lot of work to be done, but do you think things are getting better in terms of representation and, and better more jobs? And you know, what, what do you think of the current state of where we are right now? Well, it's interesting because I'm still fairly new. Um, I don't feel like I've had any specific instances of me like not getting work or not being taken seriously because I'm female. Um, I know other people have and I think it's definitely sure. an issue – it's just not one I've dealt with personally. I think, I mean, just looking at the books that are out, I mean, just, what was it, three, four, five years ago, Marvel had no female-led titles mm-hmm. at all. And now yep. I think, I don't know if it's quite 20, but they have a lot. So I think it's definitely getting better in terms of representation, not just in terms of gender, but race and sexuality. Sure. And I, I think comics are definitely becoming more inclusive, which I think it really needs to do. I mean, if you just keep catering to the traditional comic book crowd and you're not bringing in new readers, uh, the industry just stagnates and you can't survive. And I think everyone who loves comics wants to see comics keep being made. Sure. So, and of course, everyone who works in comics would like to continue to have jobs. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I feel like there's definitely more that can be done, and I think that's happening, and it's just going to be a process. But I, I've definitely seen a lot of good steps in the past few years, and I just hope it continues that way. Excellent, and I, I agree with you. And I, uh, as someone who's been around long enough, I mean, I, I think they're listening. I really do think the publishers are listening. And again, I congratulate Valiant for this great opportunity with Faith. And I'm glad that you you know you get the, the benefit from that. It was cool that Josh did the first book and everything, but that's great that you get to do the mini and uh, the event coming up with uh, 4001. And I you know I, I hope this uh, continues because yeah, I think Faith is a really interesting character and has an opportunity to uh, trailblaze in a lot of positive ways. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's really cool. And also the work on Orph- Orphan Black, like I said, I'm uh, I, I man, it was like the hottest thing. So I'm like, all right, it's there. I'll get to it. I'm sorry that your your run is over, but I really want to read it. Well, that was fine. I mean, I was only initially brought on for those five issues, so that you know that, that's pretty much what I was what I was expecting. Okay, very cool. And yes, I, I'll be uh, I'll be watching. We'll see what the new announcements are. I hope you'll uh, you'll come back and and we can talk more. I hope so. There should be some uh, fun stuff later in the year. So. <laughs> 
Excellent. Well, really, a pleasure meeting you, I, I, and I appreciate your time. And uh, we had a little uh, problem pre-recording that uh, listeners aren't aware of, so I thank you for your patience on that side as well. Oh, no problem. And again, thanks for having me uh, come on and talk. Nice conversation with Jody Hauser, and she wants you to know, by the way, the best way to find her is on Twitter, and her Twitter handle is at Jody underscore Hauser. Okay, next up, I'm talking to Xander Cannon. Now, you know Xander. Xander's uh, an excellent artist and writer, uh, has done a lot of work with uh, Alan Moore on uh, America's Best Comics. He and Gene Ha were the collaborators on Top Ten. And, uh, you know, Xander would do breakdowns. Gene would do the uh, finished uh, painting. And then uh, when Alan left the series, Gene took over as writer. And uh, Gene and Alan, Gene and Xander also did a great uh, arc of Top Ten on their own. So uh, in addition to that, Xander's been doing a lot of great comics over the years, and uh, we're going to talk about a couple of his uh, projects that he is bringing to Challengers Comics this Friday in Chicago, a very well-regarded store nationwide, if not even internationally. They've won the Eisner Spirit of Light Retailer Award, and uh, they're just a fantastic uh, bunch of guys, and I'm really happy that Xander's going to be there. And usually when uh, there is this kind of hangout on a Friday night at 7, uh, it usually becomes a scene, and a lot of the Chicago artists and writers show up. So uh, I think it's a good opportunity if you're in the neighborhood to come to Challengers and meet Xander. But for whatever reasons, we had a really lousy phone connection, and we had a really lousy Skype connection. So we settled on phone. We wanted to give you the bare uh, details and talk quickly. We will find a quiet corner and do some more conversation between me and Xander. But uh, right now, uh, please be tolerant of the telephone line as I speak to Xander Cannon briefly. Now on Word Balloon. I have been trying to talk to Xander Cannon uh, tonight as we're recording several times. The the fates conspire against us, but I've got him on the phone. And uh, Xander's got an appearance coming up in Chicago, and I wanted to let Chicago people know about it to listen to Word Balloon. So good yeah. to talk to you, man. Yeah, good to talk to you. Let's make Excellent. this work, man. Let's make this work. I got the juice cans and the string as tight as they can be. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best connection I can come up with, you know, for under, uh, you know, 25 cents. Yeah. Well, I've got the, you know, I've got the blood trails and the, the pentagram all set up here. So <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> no kidding, man. I think that's what we're going to, we're going to, the next interview is Andrew and I do will be by Ouija board. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to, it's going to be fine or by magic eight ball. So, uh, but you're coming, you're coming to Challengers on uh, on Friday night for a big signing and hangout. Yeah, I'm really excited. It'll be great to see those guys and all my all my Chicago pals. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be really fun. I haven't had a signing there before. That's excellent. And uh, for Chicago people who have never gone, uh, very accessible uh, by public transportation. It's um, you can take uh, the Blue Line train and get off right at the um, Western Avenue stop. And um, it is literally steps away from from the L. And there's a bus line right there as well. And I, in in seconds, I, as we're talking, I will give you the street address if you want to drive over. But uh, three hours signing, and you're promoting Kaiju Max. Yeah, Kaiju Max is my prison, my giant monsters in prison comic, uh, which is pretty much as weird as it sounds. So. <laughs> Just uh, what would happen if giant monsters went to prison and formed gangs and did drugs and murdered each other? <laughs> inspired by the Ultraman uh, TV show, I understand. Yeah, inspired by Ultraman, Godzilla, all those sort of stuff, especially, though, the stuff from the 60s and 70s when it was, like, cuckoo crazy and, and really, like, really messed up, kind of for kids, but kind of, like, 70s 
somebody in the every show and like didn't get the memo and there'd be like weird gouts of blood that would shoot out of a monster or you know all sorts of like weird sort of tonally inconsistent stuff that's my favorite era of monster movies and so i wanted to sort of enshrine it uh in this in this weird uh super gritty uh crime you know prison drama that's very cool. And then, um, and you've got another, a book that came out a couple, uh, like a year or two earlier, Heck. Yeah, Heck. Um, I, I expect that the Challengers will have a couple copies of that too. That's my, uh, uh, that's a novel about a guy who finds a portal to hell in his basement, and then uh, so or opens a business where he just um, resolves people's uh, disputes about wills and stuff. Um, anyway, it basically turned into a, a pulp, a pulp drama, but. Uh, but it ended up being probably my most personal book that I've ever written. Um, and uh, and that was nominated for an Eisner for Best Graphic Novel. But, uh, oh, my God. That's fantastic. Back in yeah. 2013. That's very cool. Yeah. But uh, Jeff Smith mopped the floor with me. No surprise there. Ah. Oh. Yeah, like he doesn't have enough hardware. Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> Take your name out, for God's sake. Yeah, God. <laughs> These things happen. Oh, man. Well, that's cool, man. No, I'm 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 glad you're going to be there, and we will be in person, so we'll we'll find a quiet corner and continue and talk more uh, about this. But I I do want to uh, you know yeah I wanted to at least get you on for a second and let people know that you were coming to town, and you are one of the most versatile creators I know, man. I mean from oh. uh, the run of top ten, I mean <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, we'll, we can go into that a little bit like more in depth when we when we're face to face, but. Um, what you did uh, not only on the book in general, but then also taking over the writing chores uh, and you and Gene doing an arc. And then also, uh, you know, you uh, you uh, did the Smacks. Uh, wasn't it the Smacks miniseries that you guys yeah, did? Yeah, Smacks miniseries. You and Alan? Yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's, you know, that's uh, some of the best ABC stuff that was out there. And oh. um, yeah, man, absolutely. Hey. Sure, yeah, man. Well, and all, that uh, what was the one, uh, the science book that you did? Well, had comics in it. Kevin and I did a, did several. Kevin Cannon and I, who no relation, uh, we did several uh, science comics together. We did one about paleontology and one about the U.S. Soviet space race with Jim Ottaviani. Um, uh, and then we've done uh, we did uh, one with Mark Schultz called "The Stuff of Life" and one with Jay Hosler called uh, "Evolution: The Story of Life." So wow. we've been doing a lot of educational um, nonfiction stuff for for about ten years. Are you going to bring any of those Soviet uh, U.S. space race uh, books on uh, Friday? I don't know if I have any copies. If I have any copies, I'll grab them. But uh, um, I hadn't even thought about it. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll grab them if I if I've got a couple. Boy, I hope so. I remember the paleontology one. Forgot about all the others. That's fantastic, man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jim Monteveri and uh, and as you say, Kevin Cannon. Yeah, the three of you guys. Really cool stuff. And like, has that stuff made it into curriculum at all? Um, we did one book called uh, the Understanding Rhetoric, um, and that was done. And that, the difference between those and the other ones is that this one was done with like by an actual um, like textbook publisher, uh, Bedford St. Martins. And so they, um, so they ended up, uh, you know, they would sort of. I think that was going to be a curriculum of a lot of like uh, first year composition classes um, in college. And uh, yeah, so that and that came out two years ago i think so that's been yeah that's been a couple of curricula and i mean other books too will will make it into make it into classes as a you know as a as an um additional reading um but this is the only one that was actually one that they would sort of teach out of 
Very cool. Very cool. Well, Kaiju Max is uh, is the main focus for uh, Friday night. And is the book coming out on Wednesday? Book is coming out on Wednesday. Yep. It's the uh, it's the first trade paperback, the first season. I'm I'm dividing them up into little uh, seasons, so it's the first the first big story arc. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty exciting. It's got a lot of good reviews. We'll see. Uh, you know, it'll be neat to see if people pick it up. You know, for the first time uh, on on uh, Friday. Fantastic. And is it? And uh, who's publishing that? Are you publishing it yourself, or are you going through Image? What are you doing with that? That's Oni. Oni Press. They publish- Oni Press. Fantastic. Sure. Pilgrim, and they're doing Brick and Morty, and and uh, a lot of other great and creator-owned stuff, mostly creator-owned stuff. Absolutely. Challengers Comics and Conversation is eighteen forty-five Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. Make sure you come on Friday night, and we will continue the conversation with Xander Cannon then. But uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you, man, and. Uh, Catching up more. I'm so sorry that technology hates us. So yeah. uh, all, and, all we can do sorcery. is this. Sorcery. Sorcery has let us down and as well. Sorcery hates us as well. Exactly. So uh, we're going to end our submarine conversation, <laughs> and uh, I will let you get back to the surface world, and uh, <laughs> we'll and we'll talk in a couple of days live, and it'll be on another word balloon. But uh, no, absolutely, man. I wanted to let the word out that uh, it's a good chance to see you and really enjoy your work. And uh, the Chicago art community will be out there as well saying hey to Xander. So it's going to be a fun night. So looking forward to seeing you, man. Yeah, it'll be great to see you. Okay, wrapping up, we welcome back Ed Cato to Word Balloon. Ed's been on before, and I even mentioned the fact that uh, Ed uh, helped me connect with the producers of Superheroes, A Never-Ending Battle, that excellent PBS documentary from a couple years ago. And has just been a great industry friend. Uh, his bonfire agency that he has with uh, Steve Rotterdam, a former uh, Warner Brothers uh, executive. The two guys are doing amazing work uh, in the advertising field and uh, also in uh, the pop culture field themselves. Ed is a massive uh, toy guy when it comes to things like Captain Action. He has the current Captain Action license, and Captain Action has turned 50 this year. 1966 was the debut of Captain Action, uh, one of the best toys ever, even became a DC comic during its prime in 1968, and we talk a bit about that. But uh, there are some great plans for the the good captain uh, coming up this year, and uh, Ed shares them with us. He was at Toy Fair and Play Fair as well in New York just a couple weeks ago and uh, gives us the lowdown on that. And we just talk in general about uh, what's going on and uh, how, uh, you know, pop culture is doing in the world. We talk about the Deadpool movie, and uh, it's a a great uh, uh, geek business conversation. Ed Cato from uh, the Captain Action People and also the Bonfire Agency in New York. Welcome him now to Word Balloon. All right, I'm speaking to uh, one of the main caretakers of Captain Action. It's it's Ed Cato from uh, the Bonfire Agency who joins us on uh, Word Balloon, a, a regular guest who's been very kind to not only share his opinions, but he got us uh, the superheroes, never-ending battle producers, and Ed was a big part of that as well. So welcome back, Ed. Oh, you know? it's so good to be here, John. Thanks so much. I appreciate all you do uh, right back at you. Thanks, man. Well, congratulations. It's uh, you, you get to capitalize on uh, Captain Action's 50th anniversary, and well done on your stewardship of the license because um, it's great to see new product. I mean, I was a you know full-size G.I. Joe fan and Captain Action yeah. in terms of that size of an action figure. And um, I remember as a kid in particular, 
uh, the Aquaman suit and mask lasting longest <laughs> as far as my my Captain Action uh, toy and accessories. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, my Aquaman was was uh, a quick story about that. So my Aquaman <laughs> suit, I think I I had that one, too, and I loved it. Maybe I played with it a lot because of the filmation cartoon. I really right. liked Aquaman. And the top got kind of shredded. So my mom, God bless her, like a long line. She's one of she's a seamstress, long line of seamstresses on that side of the family. She she like made a new Aquaman top. So she was like doing That's cosplay cool. for my Captain Action, you know, in 1968 or something. That's fantastic. And my my Captain Action broke, oh. and I inherited one of my sister's Ken dolls, and it stretched. Oh, you know, he stretched into the Aquaman outfit. It looked like, you know, he's wearing like capri, like a man wearing capri pants or whatever. Like those like those European models do sometimes oh. where the pants only goes down mid-calf or whatever. Man, that but he's no good. He's- yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, when I was five, I didn't care. Yeah, right. It's all good, then. It's all good. It should be good. Now. All right, he's Aquaman now. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, that's great. So too funny, man. So, yeah, so, you know. We talked a little bit in theory, I know, uh, a San Diego tour ago of some things that are brewing for the 50th anniversary. So tell me, tell me what's uh, what's going on for the good captain this year. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're we're thrilled to be um, in there with so many cool things happening in the 50th anniversary. Um, Star Trek. We, we 50th anniversary in '66. Yeah, absolutely right. So uh, Captain Action, as you know, just a quick reminder, maybe for some of the folks listening, yeah. Captain Action was was created as the next project by the guy who created the team that created the the gi joe series so gi joe when you think about it could change into like a frogman or an army guy oh yeah captain action could change into superman or lone ranger or the phantom or batman and great licenses right at the beginning man and did they have dc and marvel from the start yeah and in fact and features for that matter as well yeah and you know we I I had the pleasure of talking with one of the main guys and you know he he tell this tale you kind of picture like the Don Draper type guy of of, sure. of toys and he's saying how they they just rode around New York took cabs to places they'd have a meeting and they'd type up the contract and they'd each take a carbon copy and and that would be the licensing contract in those days <laughs> so yeah so they had uh uh what was uh um uh, DC, what became DC National, Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, King Features, um, the group that held the rights to Lone Ranger and um, uh, uh, Green Hornet as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, that's right. That was a separate one because that was out of originally D- Detroit WXYZ. Right. And, and I'm trying to remember, I know Fran Stryker and George Trendle were the radio people yeah very good that were involved was it wolper no david wolper was different yeah in those days you know it, it kind of bounced around for a while it was like striker you know was the name of the corporate entity that okay. held it and then trendle uh that was in there but it, it bounced around a lot and uh, okay you know now it's classic media for for uh lone ranger and Oh, for currently, it's classic. Classic media has them. Okay. Yeah, but um, but anyways, That's yeah. Cool. So it was a crazy licensing deal, and you know, it, it kind of spawned this, you know, uh, uh, geek nirvana for you know all these kids fifty years ago, and that's kind of what we trade in. But our focus is really to expand that and to have some fun. So you know, we 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 love when guys show us their collections, and they've got these fantastic Captain Action collections of new and vintage stuff, but. 
it's also a lot of fun when guys are saying, oh, yeah, you know, I gave this, you know, to the kids or my niece or my nephew or the neighbor or whatever. And that's that's when it gets really, really cool. And, you know, the kids, uh, you know, they'll lose a hand of Captain Action. He's got one boot. And, you know, there's, there's a real beauty in that. And, and I think that's very sweet and very fun. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, since you've gotten the license as well, you've kind of gone back to its roots and created new costumes and masks. And in some cases, God, like, you know, I, I know we've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, the the Thor costume that has the Walt Simonson kind of look and face. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've uh, I was looking. I don't think I've seen other than in articles um, the costumes for um, Iron Man and Hawkeye. And that's up to that. Has that gone through? Because I remember I saw that on Marvel's uh, news website. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. We we did so the 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 last go round for Marvel were um, uh, Iron Man, which came out really nicely, and Wolverine. And uh, the yes. the Wolverine looked sharp. It was bittersweet though because we had this alternate mask of of Wolverine without his you know his his uh, uh, superhero mask on. And it looked phenomenal. The sculpting w- was just outrageous. Um, there were some reasons that we couldn't do that. Maybe someday we'll get around to that one. But it was it was just so cool looking. And then they completed our whole build a figure set so that then fans can put together their Hawkeye outfit. And Hawkeye all put together looks really cool. And you know the little you know the, again the eight year old boy in me can't believe that there's a Hawkeye Captain Action. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. No, no, those were they. I mean, that's the thing. The original run was great, but you guys really did match it with the new outfits and the new masks and everything. It's it's terrific. Yeah, and that that's really the core of it all. So now we've got some some wild stuff coming out in that one six line. We we really really love the one six line, and and for us, my my partner Joe Ahern and I, that's kind of the heart of of the property. So. Um, one six being uh, the size. Yeah. What is what is how big is that? Oh yeah, uh, just under twelve inches. Okay. Oh, so again, that that kind of vintage uh, GI Joe Captain Action kind of size. It was well, actually Captain Action was a little smaller than GI Joe, wasn't it? Or was it the same just size? Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Okay. Um, you know, a little, a, a, a wee bit, and um, so one six being one sixth of six feet, obviously. Right, one one sixth of of a human proportion. So yeah, yeah. yeah okay. GI Joe is you know six one, and Captain Ash was five eleven or something like. That. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so uh, it turns out way back when there was there was an ad in a Japanese boys magazine for a costume set for this this hero who is a big deal uh, called Ultraman. Sure. And it, was, sure. it was never made. There was one image, and it looked like it was like a, a comp for the thing, and it was never really made. And it's been kind of like this holy grail is probably too highfalutin a word, but you know this kind of lost thing in Captain Action lore. Um, we we did a, a previous project with the folks who have the rights to Ultraman and One Six Scale, and okay. they love Captain Action. One guy's a great great fan. And he came to us and said, you know, maybe we should do this Ultraman 1-6 scale, 12-inch outfit for real. And uh, finally, you know, after, again, after, you know, 49 years. And uh, we just love that idea. I'm I'm not a big Ultraman fan for whatever reason. I just kind of miss the U.S. airings of this uh, uh, long-running Japanese superhero. 
Yeah, around the same time as uh, Johnny Sacco and the Giant Robot, it was in that Godzilla 60s Toho period for people who maybe don't remember the television shows. But yeah, that stuff did travel over here via syndication. Right. And I, I remember watching Ultraman at least in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a cool character. It's like a, he's a superhero and then he grows really big and he fights all these characters who are kind of like Godzilla, each one of them. Yeah, giant giant monsters. Giant I always monster. forget the the uh, the Japanese uh, phrase for, the, for that kind of, but like you yeah, know, Pacific Pacific Rim kind of uh, threatening monsters. Absolutely, if not Godzilla. absolutely. Definitely. So we're we're we we just um, announced this Ultraman twelve inch costume set that uh, is going to come out. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll have it in time for San Diego, and we're going to go total retro package, and that's going to be a lot of fun. That's great. No, that's fantastic. And there's, I know recently, because I know on my commercials for in-stock trades, um, there have been uh, recent either re-releases or new manga of Ultraman. Yeah, they're doing so, some cool things with the property. We're, we're going to be zeroing in kind of on that first incarnation of him. Um, but that'll be cool. True. And then we've got this other 1-6 scale that uh, uh, series of outfits. And we're, we're just on the cusp of of, of talking about and so i'll be a bit of a tease but i i can't wait to announce that one and for everybody who likes all the marvel heroes you know typically they like you know the other set of heroes from from one of the big publishers and that's that's what this is going to be all about so uh, we're, we're getting prepared we oh very good we had planned this before got a little stalled and tangled up and uh now we're going to go forward so we're we're just so excited for that and that's going to be a lot of fun that's excellent, and and obviously the market is there for this because you know um, I know you know it always cracks me up, and I know you guys are very passionate about this, yeah. And the Mego guys are very passionate about this, and I had no idea that there was this Hatfields McCoys kind of relationship between <laughs> uh, fans of Mego because I know me I didn't realize that Mego basically kind of took the market away from Captain Action. Yeah, it changed. in the seventies, it changed, and um, you know again you can kind of see. You know, right now there's 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 not a lot of mass one six scale. There's there's a lot of high end and collectible stuff. But okay. you know, some of these, uh, you know, when we introduced our stuff, and of course we were on, on sale in Toys R Us as well as comic shops and online. You know, there were kids who didn't quite get it. You know, they they'd look at it and you know and say, "What this action figure is huge? You know, what are you guys doing?" <laughs> and you know, if you're Six years old, you kind of grew up with, uh, you know, with a, a seven inch or six inch or five inch act, and that was your world of action figures. And this, Certainly, this yeah, that thing is, well, is is nutty to them. So, you know that that's, uh, you know, on one hand a great opportunity. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's it's a little uh, uphill battle, a um, little bit of a, a, a you know un. Um, uncompetitive ground because there's not a lot of folks out there uh hasbro chose not to really celebrate uh gi joe's 50th anniversary and you know i kind of think that's a shame yeah because wasn't it for their 40th or whatever i mean yeah there were some great recreations of the toys i remember as a kid in the gi joe line and they would have all the different outfits and scoop outfit or they had the winter outfit and all the different military outfits that you could think of, and God, they tied into Desert Storm. And, yeah, uh, you know, John, did, wasn't there a GI Joe John Glenn? Yeah, yeah. For and when John had, Glenn went back into space and was on the space shuttle and right. everything. Yeah, they had a lot, and you know, American yeah. heroes. Yeah, I mean, that's it was like a re-American hero kind of line. 
I don't know how that did. Maybe it didn't do that well. Well, you know, I think the G.I. Joe, you know, the reality G.I. Joe um, franchise is kind of in a bit of churn, you know, with some of the things with the most recent movie and trying to figure mm-hmm. all that out. So I understand why they, um, you know, they're, they're trying to figure those things out and do the right thing. But, you know, the one six scale, you know, for us, it's a lot of fun and, and kind of at the core. But we've got all these other things going on with Captain Action. So we've got... Um, you know, we, we, we have a line of figures that we're just about finished with a, a Kickstarter with a, a group called uh, Zika for Adventure People. This is going on right now. Um, we're in the final legs, and it's looking very, very strong. And this will be for um, figures that are like the G.I. Joe characters from the 80s, so those little four-and-three-quarter-inch characters. Sure, Larry Hammer's uh, G.I. Joe character. Right, right. And the neat thing about this line is... Uh, the group did a digital sculpt of, of Captain Action's car. He had this wonderful, you know, car, kind of like his version of a Batmobile. And, okay. Um, the sculpt is gorgeous, so we really can't wait to get through Phase One and then make this this car. And uh, that that was made way back in the day. It's a, a, a great sought after collectible piece for the the twelve inch, and uh, that'll be fun to do for this. Absolutely. I don't even remember the car. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The car was called Silver Streak and uh, made all the sense in the world because it was blue. Um, <laughs> I don't get it, but that works. <laughs> blue, silverish, I don't know. Close enough. Close enough. They don't care, Herbie. Just make it Silver Streak. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, right. Sounds better. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's so 60s. Like, yeah, all right, whatever. We could get silver. Silver doesn't work. Make it blue. Oh, all right. Know. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> blue matches his uh, outfit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, you know. He's got the black outfit. Yeah, you know, right. Like, the black and the blue. With the captain's hat and everything. No, man, and I know in the past we've talked about the, the comics that, you know, Gil Kane drew and everything. Yeah, yeah. So they had uh, – comics were great. Comics had uh, – uh, Gil Kane, it was, in fact, it was Gil Kane's first writing assignment where he wrote and drew. A, I always forget that. A yeah, yeah. And, uh, Jim Shooter started writing it, and uh, it was his first credited work. And the first issue was was full-on Wally Wood, and, and uh, Wallace Wood stayed on for the, the next issues, either as, as artist or as inker. Um, so that's that's that. insane. Yeah, so it was Gil Kane and Wally Wood together, and... Jim Shooter, and this is Legion of Superheroes vintage. Yeah, uh, Jim Shooter. So, like you know, sixteen-year-old or seventeen-year-old Jim Shooter, maybe. Yeah. Instead of fourteen-year-old Jim Shooter when he was just getting started writing those Superboy Legion stories. Yeah, right, right. And so uh, that's cool. Yeah. Sixty-eight, right? Wasn't it sixty-seven or sixty-eight? Yeah, sixty-eight for that. They're very cool. No, man, I loved it. And also, I'm looking it up on my Kindle. The you guys uh, commissioned that uh, Captain Action uh, pulp novel. Yeah, so and I loved it, man. I bought it. Oh, that's great! It. Thank you so much. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm scro- I'm scrolling right now through my Kindle to find it. Um, oh yeah, so that was called uh, Riddle of the Glowing Men. Yes, I just uh, Jim Beard. Yeah, I've got it right. Jim did a fantastic job, and the way that we uh, uh, pitched that to the press was we said, you know, this is what if Ian Fleming wrote a, a Doc Savage novel uh, starring Captain Action. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the spy, you know, grand adventure. Um, Audible, the division of Amazon, liked what Airship 27 was doing so much that they just turned it into an audiobook. So we've got this amazing audiobook for Riddle of the Glowing Men. And now they're working 
on an audio book version of the second one. Uh, Jim uh, wrote a sequel um, to that. Oh, that's great. And, and and now and now he's working on the third part of the the trilogy. So we're uh, fantastic. Is that sequel out? Yeah, the sequel's out. And then we also extended the the franchise with um, a lady action story, and that was written sure. by Ron Fortier. You know, in comics, he, he he's a very big pulp guy. In comics, he did uh, that now um, Green Hornet Green series. Hornet. Yeah, yes, I loved that. Seriously, one of the best Green Hornet adaptations was for now comics and Ron Fortier writing it. It was tremendous because it really tied the legacy of the radio show to the TV show to a modern Hornet. And uh, it was the best, like, kind of, really, like, the thing they do now in movies, Ron was doing literally 25 years ago with now comics and Green Hornet. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the first... The first times they kind of really em- embraced all the different legacies, you know, they yep. did back then, yep. which was uh, early '90s, I do believe. But absolutely, yeah, yeah it was tremendous. Yes, man. you know, now now comics was in our in my backyard here in Chicago. It was in oh. uh, suburban Chicago, yes. and I was working at a bank before I could break into radio full time. Oh wow! And it just so happened now comics had their accounts at our bank, so literally I was seeing like the first checks for Alex Ross's great. Uh, Terminator okay. book for now. Yeah, the Burning Earth uh, for now comics. Oh, wow. And, you know, and, and stuff for Green Hornet stuff. So, yeah, I would end up talking to them. They would call customer service for, you know, things they needed for their account. I'm like, how's the Green Hornet doing? He's like, oh, you know our stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, man. I read it all the time. Oh, that's really cool. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy coincidence. Oh, back that's then. great. That is so, so, so that's cool. So, yeah, you got the Lady Action Pulp coming. And that's great that there are audibles because – um, yeah, like you said, I mean, this is really good, pulpy fun. And um, yeah, and also I really enjoyed the miniseries that you guys did with Dynamite um, well, well, that Artie did all the uh, alternate covers for, Art, Art Balthazar, our mutual friend. Yeah, he did a fantastic job with those, and uh, uh, we were thrilled. We're we're working with Dynamite to figure out the, the, the next go-round. We called that one Codename Action. It was kind of like a year zero, almost, adventure mm-hmm. of Captain Action. And uh, we're trying to figure out what the next thing is, either for Captain Action or Lady Action. Chris Robertson wrote Codename Action. He did. He? he did a great job with it, too. Yes, he did. Co-creator of iZombie, of course, and yeah. other great accomplishments in the comic book and sci-fi novel worlds. Yeah, right. And publishing world, too, right? I mean, he's... Yes, indeed. Monkey brain. That's true. Yeah. You know, he's a guy with a lot of, uh, you know, personal and professional courage, you know, and I think that's just fantastic. Absolutely. Well, this is the age, I think, when... You know, fans that have always had this burning desire and everything can do their thing. And I think, um, you know, he and uh, he and Allison, his wife, uh, creating Monkey Brain was uh, was an, a very great opportunity and, and really gave a lot of current uh, creators that are finally, you know, kind of breaking through uh, a good first hand, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, getting their first works out there. Yeah. Monkey Brain put out a lot of really interesting stuff. IDW, I know, is collecting a lot of their really good material. Yeah, yeah, they are, and it's just great. And uh, yeah. we were we we're so proud to have him on board, you know, because he's is a great writer, but also a solid guy, and you know, just to get to show that stuff was was fun for us. So absolutely, have you read his Doc Savage, by the way? Yeah, yeah, you know, and masks. He did that excellent mask that that like put all the old pulp heroes together. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, you know he he's by and large, I I love all the stuff he's doing, and I know that. Some of the stuff he kind of plants these seeds for the future. Like there was one character, this obscure uh, aviatrix character in our series, and uh, 
Her name is uh, Black Venus, and she she appeared very very briefly um, back in the Golden Age and uh, in the pulp in the pulp era, or was yeah, she a in comic the Golden book Age comic era? Okay, so yeah, forties forties character. Yeah, forties character, and uh, uh, I, I, and I know he's got like you know some great stories to tell about her, you know, and I, I can't wait for that to happen. And, oh, very cool. Yeah. Was that a was that a fiction house? Uh, do you know who published you know, her originally? Um, let's see. So there was a character named Black Angel who was Hillman. So she was like part of that whole uh, Airboy thing. Yeah, and that's right. And, and Hillman is what became Fiction House and some of these other – Right. And and then Black Venus is like from a smaller publisher but kind of almost the same – the same character, sure. Yeah. Like maybe like like uh, oh god, I think Centaur, yeah, was one that like did a lot of old. Um, and now I'm blanking. Submariner's uh, creator, yeah, Bill Everett stuff. Bill Everett, exactly. You know, yeah, they had a couple of Bill Everett's characters. Maybe maybe Amazing Man might have come from a, a, a Centaur or something. Yeah, right, right. That's cool. No, I'm always I'm fascinated, and you know the interesting thing is a lot of those Golden Age superheroes are you know public domain. Now, right. So there is an opportunity to like you know create new stories with a great golden age look, and I I love that stuff. I don't know how that plays with the under forty crowd. The interesting thing is though, uh, for a small publisher or a small toy maker, you guys can kind of create a product, and and as you are doing with these kickstarters and stuff, you know just you know really kind of making a product to order for a specific market, and it kind of tells you. All right, we're going to make a thousand of this thing. Yeah, that and and satisfy that group and make a profit and know exactly what we need to make it going in and you know being you know having had a, enough of a base that you're making a little money off it, but also you know you, the product can exist and it can exist for a specific market. I got to tell you that that's kind of like the the real joy of it all in in doing these these smaller projects like that and you know having sold uh you know I, I hope i hope you don't have too many toys r us uh, buyers listening but you know you deal with somebody like a, a buyer from a big company and they you know they they know their market and they know what moves on the shelf but they might not really understand the the target who you're trying to reach and they'll you know they'll have some you know ideas or push you in ways that don't really make sense and you know, it, and it's difficult because you're like, oh, you know, that's that's not really what our fans want, or we don't think that's a good idea for this reason or that reason, and that gets frustrating. As opposed to these projects like, you know, the Kickstarter where you make it to order and you're hearing exactly what fans want and you know what they're willing to pay and what they don't like and what they do like, and and then you create what they do like or what they don't. You don't create what they don't like, I guess, and that's that's very very uh, invigorating. Sure, and it's narrow casting. It's you know narrow casting from a yeah. direct sales standpoint, and obviously you know in the podcasting and streaming TV world, this is what we're doing with our alternatives to major broadcasting and stuff. It's finding that niche audience right. and serving it, yeah. and that's that's terrific. And God, can you imagine? Again, we're around the same age in terms of the uh, back of the Warren uh, magazine catalogs <laughs> and you know that kind oh, of yeah. stuff that would cater to a. a uh, a geek audience or a nerd audience, whatever. What do you call, what do you call it, Ed? Because I always I, I accept that those are the 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 names of the day, and it's okay. And geek and nerd doesn't mean the derogatory things that it meant when we were younger and stuff. But I don't know. What do you? What, yeah, or do you, you know, just call it pop culture? What yeah, do you? It's what do you a call? Struggle. We we usually say geek culture and then alternatively nerd culture. And, sure. And, it, and it's 
it, it's tough, and and uh, I don't think those are exact or, or uh, you know the best capital T H E best, um, but they seem to work, and and it seems to be kind of um, what the the outside world understands now. Yes, kind of yes. I met I actually, and he's going to be on Word Balloon soon. Uh, Mr. Skin. The celebrity nude internet oh, uh, yeah. pioneer, oh. and he's he's a Chicago guy, and he's great, and I'm really looking forward to having him on Word Balloon. And he asked me, and he's he knows me from my sports radio years, oh. and he's like, "So what's your podcast?" And I said, "Oh, it's Geek Culture." And immediately he's like, "Oh, superhero sci-fi." I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." Yeah, you know, I mean, so so you're right. I mean, it, that's the thing. The mainstream that is the shorthand of what we like, and I guess we're just gonna have to roll with it because yeah, until there's a. Uh, you know, like like uh, when uh, Will Eisner cl- classied up uh, comic books and called them graphic novels. Yeah, right. We need a, we need a hipster to <laughs> find out a better find a better buzzword so that you know we can be, hold our heads a little higher. Yeah. Oh, it's nerd stuff, I, really. I know, I know. Well, you know, you get a, a movie like Deadpool dominating the weekend, and it, how about it? You know, and it's like okay, you know, there there is something to this, you know, world at large. You know, we're we're not, uh, it, you know, we know what we're onto, and it seems to all be clicking. Well, absolutely, and I wanted to talk about that with you from a marketing standpoint because, as you say, with Deadpool, I now work at a classic rock radio station. Right. So they're playing Led Zeppelin and all all the great, you know, Bowie and the Eagles. Sadly, all the people that are passing away right yeah. now. But um, our marketing person before the movie came out is like, "Hey, we've got an opportunity to tie into the Be- Be- Deadpool movie. Should we?" And I'm like, "Yes." I'm like, "It's going to be huge." And sure enough, and they're like, hey, man, nice going. I'm like, well, don't thank me. All I knew was what oh. you know these guys were doing at Fox. And I'm like, it was obvious, especially after Guardians of the Galaxy, that this type of movie will sell. But it still exceeds expectations. And it is amazing that Deadpool is now a household word. The way, the way Iron Man became back in 2008. I mean, this it's, is uh, crazy. It's amazing, yeah. What did you think of the movie? Yeah, loved it. Uh, thought it was a lot of fun. My, my wife had a lot of fun there uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think kudos uh, to the marketing team. They, they, they did a lot of clever marketing. Everything was very much um, aligned with, with the tone of the property and what they were trying to do. But, um, you know, they were out there and they were doing some cool things. And, you know, I compare and contrast in New York, you know, we're right in midtown Manhattan and I saw um, some some mobile advertising, you know, big trucks with Zoolander on the, the side. Sure. And it was like, OK, that's, you know, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, meanwhile, the Fox guys are just pulling out all the stops with, you know, clever, over the top, in your face, you know, uh, uh, marketing initiatives and um you know and you know and they won the day at the end of the day they really absolutely the the commercials became viral videos the the ads become memes and are spread around uh, um you, you know it's interesting and i i wonder your, what your opinion is because a lot of times and I, and again they're already because it was funny i heard some people go wow a comedy superhero movie well, I, I can't believe they never thought of that before and it's like you don't remember that six months ago was Ant-Man yeah. and uh, two years ago was Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. But that's fine. The cool thing is, though, a lot of times when it reaches that point where we get something this high of a parody, uh, it's like kind of when Blazing Saddles came out in the early 70s. You almost wonder if the genre, usually the old timetable was, 
when a Blazing Saddle shows up, maybe it's time for the Western to take a rest because it's gotten to the point where now we're parroting yeah. you know, that. And it almost even happened with Spaceballs as well with science fiction movies for a while. But on, unlike those cases, this is at the zenith of what's happening with superhero movies. I don't see the genre slowing down at all. Yeah, and you know, I think this is a little different as well. I think this, this picture and also Suicide Squad um, will really expand – Thing. So, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a guy in your mid twenties and you have a casual interest in comics, you know, you might not be rushing out to see Avengers Civil War because, you know, it's not your thing. But, right. you know, if you like, you know, video games and you like irreverent humor um, and you like action, you know, then, boy, this has a lot of reverent humor, a lot of action, um, and it makes, you know, it, it, it makes sense for you. Whereas you know, Ant Man might not, and and I think that's Agreed. very positive. Same with uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, one of my daughter's um, recent college graduate, who, who you know has been dragged to all the superhero movies over the years, uh, for the first time she um, uh, expressed an interest in Suicide Squad. She said, "Hey, Dad, you know, I saw this this uh, uh, preview, and this movie looks great. What's it all about?" And you know, I was. Like, oh, okay, well, you know what, this one's for you, honey, you know, this one's for, you, for your cohort, you know, uh, wildly irreverent and, uh, um, you know, um, uh, th- these type of things rather than, I think, being a death knell like, you know, the parody, you know, the Mel Brooks parodies might have been for those particular genres. I think this is like another area where some more people can, can really in- enjoy this genre and uh, that's why we saw that success that last weekend and this weekend. I hope too that it it means that we will get more R-rated uh good superhero stories. And that you know they've tried before. Was Watchmen? I can't remember if Watchmen was PG-13 or not. If it, it was R because I know there was nudity. Yeah, I think it was R, right? Uh, well, cuz they had the sex scene with Night Owl and Silk Spectre and you know, I'm pretty sure we saw some boob from Alan Ackerman. I'm going to make sure with Mr. Skin when I talk to him. <laughs> um truly. Yeah, I uh yeah. I but yeah, I mean it's I, I uh, and really not to just like obviously go to the gratuitous stuff, oh, yeah. but no, I, I think Deadpool to do it right needed to be in our movie. And I know there was even that short um, plea from some pundits and some moms because, you know, they did have eight, have eight year old kids who were like, I want to see Deadpool. <laughs> and I understand, but it's like, eh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad because it will only open the door to more adult fare. And we're already getting that on uh, in cable and on uh, in in some other uh, comic genres that aren't superheroes specifically. Yeah. But it's just going to broaden things and allow for more comic book adaptations to be adult and have an adult audience. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look. Uh, you know, uh, if I, I wouldn't want my young children to watch Walking Dead on television, right. but um, you know, it's a great show and it's well loved and it's it's doing what it's doing and. You know, the comics and the, the collected editions sell gangbusters. And, you know, that's very positive for the whole genre. And uh, in much the same way, I think pictures like uh, Deadpool and Suicide Squad will be going forward, too. Our, our, our mutual friend Rob Salkowitz, uh, who is a big observer of this stuff as well, is always concerned about, you know, when are we reaching the oversaturation point? Yeah. I don't I, – I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I would have thought – I think this past year, 2015, proved – that we're still at the peak and even there's still room for even more expansion. I mean, God, you know, a couple months ago 
when both the CW and ABC devote their entire prime primetime lineup one Tuesday night for the Captain America 75th anniversary <laughs> show and the debut of Agent Carter's second season up against an episode of The Flash and uh, DC doing the Kevin Smith special with Jeff Johns kind of highlighting the movies and also previewing Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. And and that two major over-the-air networks spent their evenings devoting the entire night, or much as even the, the documentary that you were involved with, uh, Superheroes Neverending Battle, and yeah. PBS gives its whole night away and does all three parts in one night. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a confidence by major corporations that honestly, uh, you know, other than those uh, superhero roasts yeah. from the 70s oh. or the Marvel movies when they'd show up on, oh. on CBS, yeah. I can't think of a time in between No, it's- where it was that kind of devotion of, yeah, you're getting the whole night. Yeah, no, it's a it, yeah, it's a very positive thing, and you know, I mean, even in your example too. Meanwhile, over on CBS, the Supergirl show, I think again is expanding the audience with, you know, a very positive, yeah. you know, positive upbeat show that you know drags in you know moms and you know twenty somethings and young girls and young boys, and uh, uh, it, again that that. You know, I, I like Deadpool and I like Supergirl, but um, I think in, in the majority of cases, those two different folks who, who are enjoying both those properties. Right. And, that, and that's right. Two that's different fun. demographics. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Two yes. Different, yeah. Well, and that's the th- and that's another interesting question is what is what does CBS do? Do they do they continue to expand? I mean, it's neat that it's all coming from that Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kreisberg, uh, Greg Berlanti group of of producers and directors that are making this product and everything uh and it's great that they're doing the the crossover i thought for sure we wouldn't see the crossover this year yeah i thought for sure because you know they they are competing networks and and really it only benefit i think it benefits the cw more just because of their lack of affiliates around the country and how you know how people get the cw versus CBS that is one of the you know your your great grandfather's network <laughs> that literally started pre television in the golden age of radio yeah. and has that kind of full national you know CBS and NBC right. you know and and finally ABC kind of reached that strength but it really didn't happen until the the seventies and eighties for ABC right uh, Fox really only came of age in the nineties and CW is kind of where Fox was thirty years ago in terms of new network. Not as many affiliates. Um, so on the one hand, I think it benefits the CW. On the other hand, obviously CBS, I mean, The Flash is so established. And I do know a handful of friends that still haven't watched Supergirl but really like The Flash. And like it or not, they're going <laughs> to they're gonna have the crossover and they're at least going to sample Supergirl. And I think they'll be finally happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think they will. And I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good for, you know – each network in its own, in its own way. I think it's going to be good for yeah. comic shop retailers. I think it's going to be good for uh, the industry as a whole, and and it's it's going to be a lot of fun for all the fans. So it's a great win all around. And it, and you know have have these kind of things presented opportunities for you? Did you were you involved with the comic shops and Lucifer uh, bags that? DC was uh, doing at comic shops at all? No, we, we weren't involved with that one. We do a lot of cool things at Bonfire in comic shops. And uh, we have this, uh, as you know, uh, comic shop network we call StoreCore. And the whole idea is predicated on the fact that 
you know, comic shops are really kind of that front line of, of geek culture. In many ways, it's like a mini Comic Con in, in every comic store each Wednesday True. when the new books came out. Come out, and you know, when fans go in there, they're very receptive to, you know, to new ideas or new marketing messages as long as they're presented in the right way. So we try and help companies um, uh, introduce their ideas or concepts or or new products in comic shops in very clever ways and uh you know that that's something we're inordinately proud of at bonfire and uh store uh we've done a lot of different programs um you know with everything from um you know television shows and movies to packaged goods and you know we've got some some of our craziest stuff coming up yet and uh uh that's a lot of fun but the other way that um really presents a lot of opportunities to us as well is we're still working very hard, and I, I think you and I have talked about this before, the Captain Action animated series. Yes. And, and that's one of these things, because we're not at peak, and because, you know, this, this peak geek that Rob was talking about, um, it, instead people really see an appetite for, you know, uh, a heroic fiction with, with, a fun, with a bit of fun and a wink and a smile um, that... Uh, I, I think we're going to make some great headway over the next few months with uh, this animated series. So we're we're working on a, a show. We always had said if we could make Johnny Quest for uh, you know 2015 or 2016, that's what we'd do. And we're we're kind of ending up very close to to that vibe for uh, uh, the Captain Action animated series. And we're working with some international partners, and we hope to uh, strike some. Uh, real deals and have some good announcements at the end of uh, uh, this uh, 50th anniversary year. Well, I hope so, man. That that would be terrific, and I agree with you. Would you see it as, when you mentioned Johnny Quest, I mean, obviously that was a straight-up adventure show. Do you see it as a straight-up adventure show, or do you see it as a half-adventure, uh, half-parody, or adventure, I'm sure if it was a straight-up adventure show, there'd be a little comedy in there. Yeah, but yeah, where where would you where would you gauge it yeah, in terms of its so tone? Much, not so much parody, but but we will have a lot of a lot of fun and um, uh, comedy. At one point, we were calling it an action comedy, and now networks prefer not to have something like that. Uh, oh, okay. But the but the way that we've really positioned it all along, originally we were saying it's a lot like Indiana Jones movie, where yeah, there's a lot of adventure, but you know, there's a lot of laughs too. Sure, you know, inherent with it. It's not, you know, funny, haha. It's like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious, and oh, it's thrilling and it's exciting, all mixed in. Um, as we as we've kind of continued on this process, now we use Guardians of the Galaxy as is our bellwether, and we say, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's a grand adventure, but uh, it's a lot of fun too. And you know, just the same way you laugh throughout Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you, you, you're going to have a lot of fun with our uh, show too. Excellent. And so it would be probably Captain Action and Lady Action. Would uh, And I forget his sidekick's name. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he had a sidekick called Action Boy in the old day. Action Boy, of course. And, and he's in there. We've got some new characters. We've got some cool vehicles. Um, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we've got this whole international scale. So rather than, you know, living in, uh, uh, you know, one city in the U.S. We're going to be doing a lot of globe trotting. Um, you know, there's a secret action aisle, um, like the Blackhawks. <laughs> you know, off the coast of blah blah blah, and uh, fantastic, or like Skull Island for uh, the fans. Yeah, right, right. So, uh, uh, yeah, we're we're just thrilled. We can't wait for this, and 
And really, in many ways, after we get through all these cool projects for the 50th anniversary, our, our business plan is such that we'll get the animated series on air, and then we'll have this whole other um, uh, merchandise rollout uh, subsequent to that that, that really sure. uh, capitalizes on a lot of that fun. Absolutely. Well, no, and that's a lot of times certainly that is the equation is – you know, you get the you get the uh, animated series out there, then you merchandise, right? And and you know, obviously, the awareness of the television show. Um, it's so weird, and I understand, but really, the 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 uh, parental active uh, activist groups really, with the best intentions, because they were good intentions of, hey, we don't want you know these cartoons to just be uh, you know selling cereal and selling toys and stuff. We want them to have, you know, learn something from it. But they really didn't take the fun out of animation for a good 20 years. Oh, yeah. And it, and it really wasn't until uh, things like um, – because even the 90s Marvel uh, cartoons, they were okay. But it really was kind of that uh, Batman animated series, Bruce Timm and uh, Alan Burnett and, yeah. uh, you know, all those guys and everything. I'm not And I'm not crediting everyone properly. But, yeah, it was really that group that uh, – kind of brought animation back to where it is now. Yeah. And it's exciting now, even beyond all the networks, you've got the streaming platforms and like uh, Sanford Green was just on recently again. Oh. And we were talking about his upcoming uh, Netflix series that's going to come out in the fall, you know, oh, and you've cool. got Turbo and all these other kind of, uh, you know, Puss in Boots and the things that are made specifically for either Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of outlet, and we're really living in a time when you know all these outlets, you know, want original content and they want to have some cool shows. So, you know, it's a lot of opportunities for creators or mark holders like us to uh, uh, get some good stuff out there. And I'm just thrilled to be able to, uh, uh, you know, be developing something like this at this at this juncture. Excellent. Now, we, have we talked about? I don't think we really talked on the air yet about uh, Toy Fair and uh, and Playfair, which just happened in New York this past yeah, week. Yeah, so that, those those were a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of toy fairs over the years, and uh, this one, the the thing that really made this one different was the new Playfair, which is a bolt on a bolt on convention. That, that was meant to be for consumers. A little background, the guys who started New York Comic Con, who, who really understand you know, geek culture and conventions and what's good and what's bad, um, they, they, they had a vision to replicate some of the things that the very same people had done with the Book Expo, where the Book Expo was, for years and years, only professionals. And if you were a bookworm like me, but you weren't a professional, you weren't allowed in. A lot of folks right. kind of fake it and say, well, I'm a librarian or I work for the library <laughs> or the bookstore or whatever. And, right. and that's, okay. that's wonderful. But there, there was a, a real thirst for um, fans to go. So they opened up the book expo for one, two, you know, one plus days for fans. And it was a huge success. And these fans loved it. And it was good for the publishers, you know, because they're already there and they're showing their wares. And it was a big deal. So that was the way – that was kind of um, the template for Playfair this year with Toy Fair. So it was in the North Hall at the Javits Center. The idea was Toy Fair will go all along. That's for the professionals. But then we're going to have something for families and kids. Now, it was all during the coldest weekend in New York, You know, record-setting, chilling t- uh, temperatures. And despite that, they um, – had bigger crowds than they expected 
Fantastic. And you say, by the way, I want to point out for people who know the Javits Center, um, Toy Fair was going on in the main center, much like it does for New York Comic Con. And am I right? The uh, Play Fair was happening where they have Artist Alley in the North Wing? Yes, exactly. The past few years, they've had Artist Alley in the the newish North Wing. It kind of looks like an airplane hangar. Yeah, it's honestly it's a nice big airy room. It's yeah. got natural light. It's it's smaller than the main floor of uh, when they do New York Comic Con, right. but it's uh, it was always like ridiculously busy because that's where all the artists were at their tables doing commission sketches and selling their graphic novels and stuff. And it was like you said, I mean, really, you could spend the whole day at. at um, at the in the North Wing and never go on the main floor and still have a great time because the, the artists were there. So that's cool. They put Playfair for there for the consumer show. Yeah, and Playfair had uh, some people went all in, like the Lego folks and Nickelodeon had these big cool booths and a lot of time to play. And uh, the Warner Brothers folks were were previewing some of the um, Batman versus Superman toys and this new superheroine cool. uh, line, and then. You know, uh, some strong entrepreneurs who, you know, I know that we're, we're both friends with. Uh, the guys from All Yeah Comics were there, and they had... The- Art and Franco, absolutely, yeah. The Tiny Titans guys, for people who don't know. But if you listen to Word Balloon, you know who uh, <laughs> All Yeah is represented by, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they, they had a fantastic booth with creators signing and cool merchandise. And as usual, they brought their own brand of, you know, over-the-top, authentic enthusiasm that's just infectious. And uh, they they were uh, g- great to have there at Playfair as well. No, that's really cool, and I I understand um, this is Reed Industries that put on New York Comic Con and C two E two, and they've bought Emerald City, and they do God, they have a Paris show now that's international. Yeah, um, but I understand. Is it? Um, I forget what it was called back in June. The uh, the June New York show. Oh sure, yeah. Ha- so the, yeah, the June New York show is called um, New York Special Edition. Special edition. I kept wanting to say secret identity, but I'm like, no, no, no. Special edition. They're not doing that this year. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I think they struggled with that one, and uh, so, so that one's kind of put on a shelf for now. And, and just to be clear too, the folks who did Playfair um, drifted away from Reed, so they started their own company oh. called Leftfield Media. Okay, and it's it's some of the the super smart people who were at Reed. And uh, led by this fellow, Greg Tapalian, who who really was the guy who fought within Reed to start New York Comic Con. Oh, that's great. On that. Yeah. So it was was a great, uh, you know, it it, it was a great addition to the Toy Fair weekend. It was great for fans. And so much so that they've um, already, they're planning their second one. And I think it's going to be a standalone at the end of this year, not bolted onto toy fair just because it you know they need more space wow okay and will it still be in new york or are they considering other cities as well i think for now they're considering it in new york i don't know if they're looking at going other places as well but uh who knows i, I think that they've got a tiger by the tail and it seems like a great program yeah that's no that's terrific and and again that's what i always find interesting is um, we were talking off the air about Comic Con, yeah, and and what I've always—I mean, I've only been going for ten years. You, you're a much longer. How, how many Comic Con? How many San Diegos have you gone to? How oh, far back? Yeah, no, uh, gee, I don't know. I, I guess I started going not that many more. Maybe like eighteen years ago, or yeah, okay, but nineties, yeah. okay, but you were you're at least late nineties. Because I mean, certainly in the ten years I've gone, it's changed. Yes. Uh, but but it was pretty much what it is in terms of 
what I always found interesting from day one was the manga and anime fans were having a completely different experience than I was having in the exact same place. Oh, yeah. But but so many different things are going on. So And I know there are toy shows, and you know better in terms of the interest in the toy market, but I do think that, yeah, it probably isn't at the level of where Comic-Cons are or some of the specific franchise conventions that creation is behind and things like that as far as uh, consumer shows. Am I right? Aren't there, there aren't, are there a ton of toy, like no, big toy shows? Yeah, no, there really aren't. There are, there are some, there are some that are very cool for, um, you know, uh, the hardcore old time collectors, but, sure. but they're a little different. This Playfair was, um, again, almost like a, a, it's a good analogy you draw it, John, where it's, uh, something for everybody. So, you know, kids could play and, you know, uh, sit down at a table and enjoy real hands-on and collectors could see things that will be coming down the pike. And, okay. uh, you know, did video, did video games play any factor in this or no? You know, uh, they didn't have a strong video game focus at Playfair. For what- That's actually good because it, it, you know, if anything, I think these physical toys are kind of in competition, obviously, with video games and stuff. Yeah, it seemed like there was enough room and enough interest that, um, you know, you, you could do it all with, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure what the right uh, adjective is, like the non-video game type type toys. Were there games? Were games there? Uh, like there board games, games and stuff? Main, in the main area uh, okay. for, for Toy Fair. Sure, for the vendors, yeah, yeah, for the, for for the Fair, business side. It was it was really like, hey, come and look at some cool things, you know, see see it coming, and and come and sit down and play with some cool things too, and you know, and there were, um, you know, there there were other um, there were other toys that were new, uh, like the uh, Shopkins, who are um, little action figures for, I guess, primarily for girls, but for boys and girls. Um, that you could build these whole cities of, and they were very cool and they were very neat and you wouldn't see something like that at a comic con. And, you know, you, you really, if you were a, a parent, you wouldn't have an opportunity to have your kids play with it before it's on the shelves anywhere. So it was a, a, a special event and a real great opportunity for everybody. Very cool, man. Any other observations on the market with that you're seeing with what you do with uh, bonfire in terms of, uh, you know, that uh, we should be watching for some sort of either new platform for geek culture. I mean, again, um, it's it's funny. I keep inching towards uh, really uh, finally breaking down and doing a word balloon book. And it seems to me that in, oh, you I, must. I can put, you must. well, I, I got to put a pin on it, I think, in 2015, because it seems like the only thing that can happen is more of what we're currently enjoying. More shows on on television and streaming television, more film. More animation. Um, I un, until they're really able to beam it into our brain directly, and we have a matrix-like experience yeah. where I can have a Captain Ama- uh, action adventure yeah. happen in my brain. Uh, I think that's the next evolution. I don't know what else, what other possible ways to enjoy this stuff. You know, as far as innovation are, are left. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that was very interesting, especially with the the whole uh, nerd culture, is that on one hand. You know, we see a lot of nerd rage when there's things like the DC rebirth or, you know, changes of, of things that people hold dear. Sure. And, and you, you see a lot of that. But at the same time, it, it 
Toy Fair, there was um, almost an, a, a license, in, and I, I use the word not literally, although you can use it too, a license to, to allow properties to um, be interpreted by different folks. So, you know, one of the observations was like everybody had a Batmobile there. You know, and it was like, oh, let me show you what what my company does with this, you know, Warner Brothers Batman license and the Batmobile. And oh, we have a, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a retro version. Oh, we have a costume for children to wear. Oh, we have a remote control uh, one that you know you can use. And you know what? They were all very cool, and they they were all just fascinating. And, and people ate them up. And it's like you you can choose what you want, and. The, you know, the same thing happens for Star Wars and Doctor Who and, um, you know, all the different properties where it's, um, look, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a company, I'm going to license this property and here's what we're going to do. We can't wait to show you what our version of this thing that, that's beloved by you is. And, you know, you can either embrace it or, or not. If you're a completist, you probably want it. If you're, if you're not a completist, you know, you'll evaluate it based on its merits and either say, oh, this this Star Wars thing is very, very cool. I really want to have it. Or, you know what? That one's not for me. Uh, I'm going to go two booths down and see another Star Wars thing and, and, and get it there. Yeah, sure. No, and you're right. It, and it's, it's product for every age and every interest. And, every, you know, like you said, from collector to my four-year-old likes to anything Star Wars, what can I buy them so they can play with it and be happy? Right. So that's that's terrific. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, very interesting times, man, and I'm uh, I'm glad that you guys are a big part of it, uh, both as observers. Um, I always recommend people to go see the bonfire presentations at conventions oh, because it really is at the same time you guys you know doing your spiel, but also it's a nice focus group for vendors and for creators to hear directly from the people because you really do solicit questions and opinions from the fans and you know i know in the last couple of years we've heard from adult women saying i want more of this because i like it and we've heard it from uh pretty much every demographic including uh the old boys club that feel threatened by the new audience yeah and um the new audience saying we want more yeah. and it's really been fun to watch that cross-section kind of come to terms in terms and and, and that's the other thing is the, the message you do, and you just did it, in fact, by pointing out all these different iterations of the Batmobile, is the old boy club should not feel threatened by this new this new audience. I don't think your stuff is ever going to go away. Yeah. I think, the, you know, it's the, the, the great thing is the market is literally expanding to also cater to this other group without sacrificing the old boys club. The DC rebirth might be an awakening, finally, of DC acknowledging that because that seems to be what they wanted to do with the new 52 – and thank God, you know, the powers that be figured out. It took them five years. <laughs> but, but yeah, that it's like, well, yeah, I think we can do both. Yeah, I, I think so, too. You know, sometimes, you know, we'll hear some older fans lament that, oh, you know, I picked up an issue of um, Captain America from Marvel and I couldn't tell what was going on. It all changed. And you know what? Uh, that that's that's true, and I think that there's a, a wonderfulness about that. You know, the fact that it does change, and there's cool artists, and they're trying new things. But you know, if I had an unlimited budget, I could go to the comic shop every week and you know spend so much money uh, on because there's so much great stuff out there. You know, new stuff I like, stuff from other publishers, 
Uh, we are living in a golden age of, of reprints where, where so many cool old things are available. So, oh, yeah. you know, that, that boys club, uh, you know, that old boys club has so much out there. If they, you know, just kind of go in, I think, with a little flexibility and open mind that they're, they're, there's great opportunities to satiate their, their passions. Agreed. And I and yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I also think that, yeah, the publishers are listening to this new audience and finally saying, all right, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, don't worry. In fact, you hosted at, at San Diego uh, some great women's panels and stuff of, uh, you know, both vendors and, um, you know, creators and stuff that are like catering to this women's market. And I thought it was fascinating and in, in a very positive way of. They're they're seizing the opportunity and, and making it happen and oh, yeah. making money for them. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so that the the one you're referring to is uh, this panel I've been doing now for uh, I guess about a year and a half called uh, Fangirls Lead the Way, and what we try and do is is get a, a bunch of different women who are involved in in different aspects, either as creators or retailers or or or, or bloggers and super fans and discuss some of the things that are going on and you know typically it's happened in san diego it's happened in new york where they'll give me like a you know making air quotes here like a at eight o'clock or friday at seven thirty p.m and you know you think oh man nobody's gonna want to come to this thing and it's it's always packed it's new york we had a, an awful time and it was standing room only and Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. That's a good problem to have, man. Fantastic. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. And there's, you know, and there's so much passion and excitement and optimism. And it's uh, it's just a great thing to be a part of. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we're able to do those panels. What kind of presence will you have at conventions this year? Oh, you know, we're going to have a lot. So we've... Um, for the Captain Action end of things, uh, we've got some good things at uh, local conventions. Uh, we'll have another, a booth again at San Diego. We're thrilled for that. We're going to be having some cool. special exclusives there uh, beyond that Ultraman. And um, we're doing the um, – uh, continue to do the uh, panels. Um, I, I almost did some at WonderCon. Uh, had to pull back on that one. But we're we're really looking at – Again, doing our, our Fangirls Lead the Way panel, which is a very strong panel. Another one we've had a lot of fun with is uh, called The Seven Archetypes of Comic Shops, where we, we talk a little bit about classifying comic shops, but between you and me and the Word Balloon audience, it, it's really kind of a fake-out to um, spend about 50 minutes celebrating comic shops and some of the things that make that retailer outlet very special and unique and important um, in America and North America and, and worldwide to a lesser extent. And we, we get some great uh, retailers on those panels. Uh, and typically, uh, you know, fans come and everyone's got their own story. And we try and get that uh, out of them, the panelists, as well as the fans. And, th- and that's another great one that we just have a lot of fun with. That's excellent, man. No, you know, I, I know about five years ago with – uh, digital coming on as strong as it had, there was some concern about where that would put the retailer that was still dealing with you know the physical books and stuff. And between games and it be- becoming, uh, like you said, a mini convention where fans get together every Wednesday and buy their new books or whatever the new product is and uh, the stores that held tournaments 
or have local artists that can come in for signings and book club kind of discussions about their graphic novels and stuff. All of that really has like increased the importance of the direct market store. And um, yeah, I, I really think the right stores and the right uh, owners with the, the right ideas can be very inventive and create this like kind of cafe culture. Yeah, that that they can really, you know, um, you know, expand their their audience or their their client base, their customer base. And literally, I mean, you know, another thing to the Big Bang Theory, it was funny before we were talking, I was watching one of the reruns and it, it just occurred to me. It's like that's a really nice, subtle commercial for comic book stores. Oh, yeah. And, it sure and that it's such an event when they go to the store and they they deck it out exactly the way you want it to be, and certainly Comic Book Men does the same thing on AMC. So there is this casual appeal that a dial twister may not even realize it, but stumble on these stores and be like, "Oh yeah, that looks like fun. I wonder if there's one near me." Yeah, you know, and and that's very positive. You know, you can argue that you know both those shows kind of get certain things wrong or they're not representative. Sure, <laughs> but but in, but in reality, if they if they make it, as you say, so that someone goes into those stores and say, hey, you know, let me give this thing a try. Or I love, you know, I, boy, I love the Big Bang Theory. Let, let's give this comic shop a try. And they and they go in. Uh, that's a wonderful thing and a great, great benefit. Yeah, man. No, it's a, it's a very interesting time. It continues to be that way. And that's why I welcome uh, our conversations. Uh, it's a good chance to, to catch up and see what's happening with Captain Action. But truly, it's as much of an interest to me and I think the listeners, too, on the bonfire side to see what's going on as uh, geek culture continues to thrive and expand in uh, today's culture. I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we welcome the opportunity. And, you know, I, you're always very kind. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, John. And uh, it's always a lot of fun. Thanks, man. And no, looking forward to seeing you uh, definitely in San Diego. And can't wait for whatever is coming up beyond the Ultraman uh, uh, costumes for Captain Action. And yeah, man, oh, when that animated series comes, hey, I want a part. Oh yeah, who do I talk to? You gotta, you gotta, I'm talking to the guy. I better be somebody. Oh yeah, this. you got a great voice. We got to part of that, man. <laughs> Tell you what. <laughs> well, if you don't cast, if you don't cast, uh, you know, if you don't cast a Hollywood lead for Captain Action, I'm a, I'm auditioning. Damn it. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll get you there. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I love it. I love it. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, today. John, thanks so much. Take care. Be well. There you go. Another word balloon in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, man, a lot of news has happened in the last couple of days uh, at that uh, Comics Pro Retailer Summit that happened in uh, Portland. And we certainly heard that uh, DC is about to uh, revamp the line and hopefully right the ship and uh, get some quality stories out there. We're all waiting, we're all hoping. And uh, hopefully that's going to work out. I imagine that will figure into the conversation in the weeks ahead right here on Word Balloon. But uh, tremendous fun talking to Ed Cato, Jody Hauser, and Xander Cannon. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon episode. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Let me rattle off some great deals that are happening at InStock Trades. One of the bright spots of the uh, DCU initiative last summer was uh, Rob Williams and Eddie Barrow's Martian Manhunter book and the epiphany the first volume is available now and I'm telling you it really is a great book 50% off $7.49 you can get the superior foes of Spider-Man omnibus hardcover my buddies Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber 42% off $28 
and 99 cents. Uh, you can reach back for some uh, tremendous Tony Isabella and others works on Champions from Marvel. The Marvel Masterworks Champions Hardcover Volume 1 is 50% off. It's only $50. There's classic Birds of Prey available. Chuck Dixon and Greg Land doing the excellent work. It is uh, 45% off, $10.99. You can get, as I said before, Hugo Pratt's Cordo Maltese Celtic Tales. That is 30% off, $20.99. Good highbrow stuff from Hugo Pratt. Why not? Um, You can... You can also get uh, the Transformers from IDW. Uh, the collection is Phase 2, Hardcover Volume 3, and that's uh, John Barber doing the writing, 30% off, $34.99. Just some of the great deals that are happening at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. Thanks a lot for listening today. John Suntress reminding you that you can reach me uh, through email. Uh, you can do john at wordballoon.com. That's my email address. You can uh, reach me via Twitter, uh, at John Wordballoon, uh, on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and uh, I will do my best to answer your questions. I apologize if I haven't gotten back to correspondence. It's been a crazy February, but as you can see, we've got a lot of great conversation, and we're not done. Lots more to come before February 29th. A little extra for you in this leap year during February. We will accommodate right here at WordBalloon.com. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.